you have already experienced success off of literally the like first three clips that you put out. Pretty cool. The first and three now, clips. Check they, it out. They went pretty well. Yeah. They went pretty I, so, well. So, so but... taking my phone all day, but you, you were texting me about it. So you said, but the engagement rate was insane. It was like at a thousand after what? After how long? Like what was, what was insane? I don't know what's insane. I don't know. I don't well, know what's what. Yeah. Like, so for me, for the size of creator that I am currently, I have right. like, uh, five, well, three prior to this video, I had 7,800 followers, which is not, is really oh, not seems a, lot. Like a lot. Um, More than so I have. for that size of creator, you always want to aim for like, if you're a business, so like, um, if you're working on a business account, you'd like to shoot for about 12% engagement. So that means 12% of the people that saw your video either liked it, shared it, saved it, or commented on yeah. it. So like it, it, they performed an action. So what was high. crazy to me was that, um, you know, kind of soon after we posted one of, one of the clips, um, looking back through our messages here. Um, well, it was cause they, do, like somebody, do, do, do. somebody Jeopardy. turned it into a, somebody turned it into like a, a template where you could go, I have a, a X amount horse. They, they all started putting their own stuff in. They all started oh, putting yeah. their, oh, I this love how that. much my, my truck costs, this is how much my horse costs, this is how much my divorce costs. And then we got a horse girl math debunked comment and that made me yeah. laugh out loud yeah. because I, laughed, I, laughed I don't know if you've been online but funny. like with there's been like girl math and horse math and food math and oh i didn't know that. math and all these maths going around so horse girl math that that's like another thing so maths. i mean girl math is like if you buy it with cash it was free that's girl math but oh, so like the horse math that was funny yeah okay okay um, or like if you buy it with your credit card points Right, it was free, free. So yeah. like you're justifying unnecessary purchases, but yeah, yeah. Let me let me pull it up here. So it one died. of them kind of set off I think because it, I think it died. I think it lost all its momentum. Like I think it did. What it lost TikTok a little does. momentum. Yeah, um, you yeah. never know. I, there's no formula. No, you happens. never know what's going to happen. But oh, there's a formula. It's currently. 47,500 views and 599 oh. shares and 290 saves and and almost 1,800 likes. So, like, that's great. Like, the amount of engagement, the amount of people that actually performed an action, clicked on something, did something, um, is a pretty high rate. Like, if you add it all together, I don't know what the percentage is, but... Um, it might give me insight since we posted yesterday. Uh, TikTok analytics are weird, but, um, and that's one platform. I actually have not posted it on Instagram or Facebook. Um, just kind of wanted to test it out there. See what, see what, what? thoughts were. Really? Oh, Move man. On. Yeah. So oh. that's only one, one platform. So well, we've, you know, do not be surprised if you get a different kind of, do not be surprised if you get a different oh, we'll get... response on a different platform. That I would assume oh, that yeah, that happens, right? It, it, yeah. It would be normal too. So I would expect a I would expect a very different 
response from Facebook than like TikTok and Instagram. A little bit different crowds hmm. there. Neat. Um, yeah. So, but our podcast performance. Uh, so you all are joining us for our second episode. And, oh yeah! Uh, congratulations. I just want to congratulations. Yes, this is our second we've, podcast. We've made a second episode. Yeah. Heck yeah. So yeah. there's probably some percentage that we've broken through there. Oh no, it's a ninety percent. Ninety percent never make it past episode three, and of the of the ten percent that make it past episode three, ninety percent don't make it past episode twenty. So if you make it past episode 20, you've made it further than 99%, basically. So that that's the real All big right. goal. But so, you, I mean, you gotta, you gotta go one by one. Like you can't get to 21 without going to 20 yeah, or 14, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. So if you're joining us for our second episode, I don't know, it might be the first one you've listened to. Um, really impressive, average average things happening here right so we've had 22 plays of the first episode a guaranteed three of those are me guaranteed uh hey, nobody cares definitely nobody my cares. mom uh nobody cares yeah so people listen people listen i care i care that people well listen. yeah that's true so hey well okay good happening. point things are good happening point. i was just gonna say uh yeah i was just like oh uh, Actually, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Maybe people do care. Maybe they, and it'll be funny to look back on it. It will, yeah, you're right. It'll be funny to look back on it and be like, oh, 22. Wait, so 22 listens? 22 listens? In like how long? 22 listens of that episode. Uh, Well, since October. Well, when did we post that? Like five days. Uh, October 3rd. October 3rd. So. What's today? Yeah. Eighth. Uh, okay. Eighth. Yeah, it's like five days. We've had okay. a little over like, yeah. It's a good so point. Like 50 I haven't listened to it. Count, so. Count. Well, damn. I recommend listening at like 1.1 to 1.3 because I'm slow. I was slow in that episode. Oh, uh, okay. Like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway. What I'm getting to is one of the one of the most profound things that I've heard uh, through content creation that I, I love to repeat to myself because it's true is you may feel discouraged by a video that gets a low amount of views. So like when I post something on my TikTok and it gets 200 views, I kind of was I kind of feel like, well, shit, like it only got 200 views. Like, what the heck? But imagine if you and I sat down. And 200 people came to listen to us, we would be overwhelmed. And so, like, you know, 22 people, so a room full of 22 people already have sat down and listened to us, basically. And it feels pretty cool to me. Like, and it's overwhelming to think, like, that one clip, over 47,000 people, there's a stadium full of people, have listened to us. Ridiculous. I mean, it's cool. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That part is really awesome. I don't think so, I've ever anyway. been in anything that got that many views. I was just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm an extra in a Netflix documentary that may have gotten way, more than 47,000 views, but I'm not sure. I doubt, I doubt it did. What documentary I doubt that many. is that? 
I don't know, it's something about, I think it's called soil or, or dirt or something. I don't know. It was, uh, it was this guy that was doing, uh, regenerative soil practices and te teaching clinics. And he and I were teaching at the same clinic. And so I was at the, like I was teaching when I was, I was there for, uh, gypsoil when I was working with gypsoil and he was there for his own kind of like brand of this is what we do. Um, their approach. I forget gotcha. the guy's name too. I feel bad about that. Uh, he was pretty legit though. He was like Clint Cox and a bunch of people, uh, were, are also, I think in the documentary. Actually, I think Clint may have, Clint may have helped put it together. Not the documentary. Oh. But the event where the film, where the camera crew came, because the guy, the guy came, so his camera crew came. Like he was shooting the documentary about himself. I think it was a self-produced documentary. Oh damn. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how hey, it was going. Yeah. If nobody wants to tell your story, you got to tell it yourself. So we should. Uh, I should look this up. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, hold on. Like we should actually give the guy credit. Cause, yeah. Find the title on, quick. Find yeah. the title. Netflix soil dirt documentary. Internet's really slow. Is it called Kiss the Ground? Hold on. What is this called? Kiss the Ground? I don't know. That's Woody Harrelson. That's not it. Not Kiss the Surely it's not Kiss the Ground. Netflix. Ugh. Screw it. I'm just going to text Clint. Clint. Where's Clint? We'll figure it out. Clint. I think she was in it too. What is the name of the doc on soil health that is on Netflix? And we are in the background. Surely he knows that. I think Clinton, I think Clint like personally knows the guy. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So if we find yeah. out who this is, we'll let you guys know. How much caffeine um, have you had? I digress. So you made it to it. What? How much caffeine? I, got, have you I had, had a coffee at. I had a coffee at 1 p.m. You need to do some woo sauce. I think I'm like, honestly, I'm kind of high on house chores. I was cleaning my house. And I felt no thanks. We're going to, I just got out of the river. So, I went down to the, I was, I was swimming in the Columbia River for uh, like 20 minutes. It's getting, it's starting to get really cold. It's nice. It's like cold. Felt good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not my cup of tea. Good for okay. you. Cold so plunge. digressing. Look into it. Or whatever. Digressing again. Still, cold plunge. Good stuff. If you would like to cold plunge, I think it's definitely good for you. I just am a chicken shit, and I haven't done it yet. And I don't like to be cold. So, do I agree it's good for you? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, we made it here. This is our second episode. If you didn't listen to the first episode, no problem. I'm Marissa. And this is my older brother, Lucas Maddie. And we just wanted to 
help you guys get to know us a little bit before we start talking to other people. And if you did listen to the first episode, I promise this one will be better because I'm not in the hot seat and I just get to ask questions. So, um, I don't know. I'm going to start, I don't know, kind of start Lucas off like he did me. Um, let's just have it. Where were, where were you born? And, uh, where'd you grow up? Let's do like, give me birth through grade school. Let's, let's look at some stuff that happened then. Very good. Uh, supposedly I was born in Phillipsburg, Kansas. However, if you look through the birth registry at the hospital, I'm not listed. So I still entertain the idea that, you know, it could be Superman and just not know it. Um, yeah, it's weird. There's like babies that were born like a couple of days before and a couple of days after, but nobody listed on the day that I was in. And I know this because mom kept having babies at the same hospital and I kept hanging out in the waiting room while she was having babies. And every time I'd go look through the thing and I'd be like, there's Kara and there's Katie. Not me. Not there. So, Not you. yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. So that, so born Phillipsburg. Um, and then uh, when growing up uh, was when we lived in a little two bedroom farmhouse um west of norton uh kind of in the basin of this just little 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 valley there um south of uh south of highway 36 and um what i remember about that time probably was like interesting weather events um we had some really big blizzards and we had some really big rain events and i remember a couple times it getting like the roads would be um, blown shut for, you know, we we would be stuck out there for like five days. Um, and there was like no way to get to the highway. Um, and, uh, and we oh, would, wow. uh, and we would just tunnel, Kara and Katie and I would tunnel uh, through the, through the snow and just make these immense, you know, cause the snow'd be there for a week and a half and we'd not have anything to do. Like we couldn't go anywhere. So like every day we'd go back and we'd like yeah. make deeper tunnels, longer tunnels, more tunnels, blah, blah, blah. Then eventually, you know, it melts and they'd, there'd be a, there'd be a cave in event or two. And, uh, and then we'd move on and some big floods. There were some big floods. Those, those were good times. Just seeing like the whole Valley just be, flooded out uh yeah all right so in 83 i should have looked up some like things that happened during your birth year that would have been interesting but what do you like what's the first music you remember like as a kid little kid music is that what you said what did you say music yeah what's the, the first, first music um first stuff would probably be church stuff because i liked the you get to sing there's cool songs at christmas so like silent night and uh oh holy night and uh stuff like that um because we we went to church pretty regularly like really regularly and on sundays you know when they had churches going on 
And, uh, and you always, I, honestly, I always looked forward to it because we were always late because mom always had to stop and get gas because she'd never gotten gas before. And since she had to stop and get gas, then she also went inside to get, uh, to pay for gas. Cause back then you had to go inside. There was no credit card. You had to write a check. And, uh, and right. since she had to go inside, then she also got us, uh, little Debbie's or whatever like that. Some, some crappy, you know, cupcake thing, uh, that were awesome. Uh, plus you always got to eat after church. They would always have food. Like, like if it felt like all the time. Well, yeah. And if they didn't have church, right. if they didn't have food at the church, then, then we did food at grandma's house. And so, yeah, I just look forward to Sundays because there was like lots of food. Um, but I do remember the music being enjoyable. So, yeah. Um, and then maybe dad had, um, in the truck, dad had Randy Travis's greatest hits or something like that. Cause I, I remember like, I'm going to love you forever. And for, is that what it's called? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. A couple of his, Oh, and Alabama had Alabama's greatest hits. Um, like, uh, back when they had 40 hour week Alabama. and, uh, yeah. Alabama was awesome. Yeah. So what did Alabama was really cool. So dad in the truck. So like, what did a day look like? Say you're like seven, eight years old. What, what did a day look like in two different days? So one during the school year and one like during the summer. Like, as a kid, what were you doing? I seem to recall, like, if it was during the school year, so we rode the bus, and I feel like I remember, I can't, I don't know. I think there was a period of time where we had breakfast, like, at home before school, but I don't know. I feel like that doesn't seem right, because we're late, like, the perpetually late to everything. So I would assume that there was no break, but I don't think that that was the case. But I do remember, so you get on the bus, um, and there were some older kids there that were, like, uh, cool. They would let me sit in the back with them. Um, and then you'd, I don't know, you'd go to school again, more food. I like the food at school. I like to eat. Um, that's what I remember. I liked the recess. I liked, I don't know. I kind of liked, I kind of liked a lot of the stuff. Yeah. It was difficult I, at school. I wasn't, I know I wasn't very good at doing the stretchy thing. Like when you like lean forward and you <laughs> see how far you can go, how flexible you are. Oh my goodness. I was always, I was always not good at that. Uh, and I, I wasn't Sit good at art. I wasn't good at art. Yeah. I was like not good at art at all, at all. Like. Uh uh, terrible at drawing. Wasn't very good at music. Did you try? Um, I don't think so. Probably not. That would be. That would seem fair. That would. That would seem like a fair thing to say. Oh yeah, yeah. I I mean, like everything was just baseball. Like all I cared about was playing baseball. Um. Yeah. And and. Uh, did it start? So like, did they have t-ball? No t-ball. Coach pitch. It coach pitch for like first and second grade, I think. 
Yeah. Coach pitched at first okay. and second grade and then third and fourth grade started kid pitch. So so you got to you got to you got to throw against each other at third grade. And um uh so yeah, I guess there's a couple of things I remember then. So like about that, like I remember like just being by the time I got to sixth grade, I was just a dominant. Like and it was it wasn't a question of whether or not um I was gonna uh have a good game. It was like I I literally thought I could strike out every single person that walked up to the plate. And there was I do remember it, there was a time when I was really good and I was throwing really hard. And there was a lot of people from the community that just came down and watched. People that didn't have kids playing baseball. But I remember that was pretty cool cuz you would see like teachers there or something uh that are like, "Oh, this is this is yeah. kind of different. This is kind of neat." Um and that made me feel good. Um, so yeah, I like that. And then like, other than that, like in the summer, it would always just be basically trying to sneak out to go work, do something with dad. Cause you might get to like ride the four wheeler, um, or build a fence. I like to build a fence, um, or yeah. run a combine, um, do that. Uh, you know, how many basically if i got to if i got to drive stuff i was pretty excited about it yeah i was about to ask i just think i remember exactly the moment that i first got to drive um so when was that for you well i don't remember the moment dad dad told me when i was four he put me in the truck and i put it in a ditch and i i don't remember that i remember being I remember being like five or six and driving a um, driving a grain truck that had the sides off of it with uh, had automatic transmission um, as a uh, as a bale truck. Um, so I would okay. Dad would put me in it and like I I would just stand. I couldn't sit on the on the thing, but I could just stand on the floor on the floorboard, and it would just idle forward. And I would just kind of follow him and he'd have the tractor and he'd load bales onto it. I'd, he'd, he'd hold his hand up and I'd press the, um, press the brake and stop. And then you just let go. And since it's an idle or since it's a diesel, it's got so much torque that it just kind of idles you on forward. And so that, that's probably the first time I remember that. Um, I don't know about, I don't know about driving a truck. Or like a just a pickup. I can't remember the first time. When I was like seven. I ran over a hard hand. He uh, <clears throat> he stood in oh. front of the truck. He was like sixteen. He might have been like I might have been like six, but he put me in. He put me in a truck. He was uh, he was fixing fence, and he put me in an old uh, old Chevy uh, four speed, and he put it in four low and put it in first gear so that it would just crawl forward. So that he could grab stuff like grab posts off of it, right? And grab the stretchers. Yeah. And he just had me sitting in there steering it so that I wouldn't so it wouldn't crash or anything. And he he wanted to he wanted it to stop it on for some reason he was like, Oh, we need to stop here. But he stood in front of the damn truck and he goes, Okay, stop. And he tells me, he's like, Well, push the whatever. And so I just tromped on the gas pedal. 
because I didn't know what was what. <laughs> but it was well, it was funny because it was like it was in first gear and it was also in four wheel drive low. So it was like the scene in Roger Rabbit when the guy's getting run over by the bulldozer th- or the the steamroller thing, where it just happens slowly. So pa- it's just so slow. It was like like I hit him at like a mile and a half an hour, and he just kind of like eh. And basically just laid down and let the truck drive over the top of him. And then he got out from the back and he came and grabbed the, uh, grabbed the wheel or whatever. Yeah. Brian Schick. Fixed it. Oh my. Yeah. I think Speaking of kids, I mean, this is, we're on you, but I, I think we, we can't, we can't not tell this story because you can actually probably tell it. My actual first experience driving wasn't really driving. And uh, you talked about us being late to church. We were late to church one morning. Mom ran back into the house to get something and left the Lincoln Town car yeah, and drive. I wasn't, I don't think, it, well, yeah, obviously I wasn't in the ride. She had you guys in the car already because I think you kind of had to do that. Yeah, because you kind of right. had to like herd, you know, from like, you know, greatest level of ability to herd yourself down to the lowest level of ability to herd yourself. And so you guys got herded into the car and locked into your seats first, or at least you were supposed to. And I think she just like checked you in there one time. Wow. Was anybody else in the car or was it just you? I'm pretty sure it was just me. I think it was just you. I could be wrong. That was that white Cadillac, wasn't it? It was a white Cadillac that mom bought off of a pastor's wife. Oh, and I like, thought it was a Lincoln Town car, but it probably maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe this was that. I have no idea. But yeah, you dropped it into drive, ran into. What'd you run into? You run into the garage. Or you ran into a pole. The garage. Yeah. The garage straight oh, into garage. the garage. It's it's been broken since that day. It really wasn't. I don't think it was living that good of a life before you ran into it. I'm I'm not. I don't think. But. I don't think you could claim that kill. Probably not. Yeah. If but anything is no, like a just, mercy killing. True. True. Just kind of mirrored. You know, you said you you went in a vehicle and went straight into the ditch, and that's kind of what happened to me too. You know, straight into a building. But so yes. you started helping out on the farm really early, but it sounds like you kind of had some things to do in town too. Um, I don't know about you. When we were, when I was little, I felt like we lived so far away. I thought it felt like it took hours to get to town. And I don't, that feeling, you know, the world became smaller as I got older. So I don't, how was that for you? Like, um, going on grocery trips or, um, going to church, like, was that type of stuff a big event or, you know, how country kid were you? It was pretty miserable because I did hate riding in the... Well, it wasn't that I didn't like riding in the car. I liked riding in the car because I liked looking at stuff out the window. And I I seem to recall, I think we all kind of had our own seat. I think we each had our own place in the car that we would ride consistently. And so you would consistently have the same view and you would be able to... I don't know. You you see something different from week to week. Like, oh, the wheat got cut here. And, oh, this guy laid down his alfalfa or whatever, you know. And you just kind of see things change, and it's a little bit of a story week to week. I didn't mind that. 
uh, I did not like uh, hanging out in the places waiting on mom because uh, she took forever all the time. Um, yeah, like grocery shopping and a church and in the street when you'd see somebody. And I would just, so like, I just couldn't take that part. Um, in even like, uh, even like when you'd go to the dentist, because uh, we'd go up to the dentist in Alma every once in a while. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess the dentist wasn't that bad. This wasn't that bad. The dentist had um, dentist had magazines that uh, we didn't have, so it was like a treat. Highlights. It was like, yeah, they had highlights. They have highlights? Exactly. Yeah. You... Uh-huh. yeah. Heck yeah, they at did. the dentist. Yeah, you could mow through some highlights. And it was a good. That was a quality read. And activities, crosswords and mazes and yeah, yeah. Teach you how to draw a dog stuff like that. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. To our mom's credit, you that I that happens because she just is so nice to everybody. I mean talks to every person. To a fault almost. And just to the talks to everyone. I mean, she'll just and I don't know what it there's something inviting about her or something. People just wanna like pour their hearts out to her and just every detail it could be hereditary. of lives and we're over here like like mom we were i let's get the cereal yeah. and go you know i had three uh i had three people i had three people randomly tell me that they had done cocaine when i was their banker it was you just know, like out I've of had the blue some people tell like, me we hadn't even we hadn't been we weren't talking about cocaine and then all of a sudden they were like hey by the way this time that i did cocaine and i was like huh they're just but yeah, offering it, could, it up yeah, it could just be that uh, there's some hereditary thing uh, that has a bit of a uh, an open, like, hey, you can trust this. I mean, that's this a, it's a good point you bring up. That I, certain people, you know, if we're to pause in your story a little bit, let's like let's get your perspective on this. Certain people kind of just have this sense of genuine or you know goodness or. There's something about yeah. them that almost makes you want to tell them things. So, like, what what do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. It's just those people that you're like, if I did a murder, I could tell them about it, and they'd be cool. I could tell them. Have you seen? They'd be like, I there's could, a movie. I could come to them. Like, I could come to them. I'd be like, hey, how you doing? And they'd be like, hey, oh, man. good, you know, just watching, you know, Netflix. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I just did a murder. Can you help me out? And they'd be like, all right, let's talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Trustworthy. They're like, you know, maybe it was, it's not your fault. Yeah. That's what you'd get. It's not your fault. Probably. It's not your fault. Yeah. It's uh, Earl Had to Die. Was that Dixie Chick song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the, yeah one of the one or, of the many the examples chicks. where where it's it's okay for women to kill men <laughs> and it's not okay for men to sing about <laughs> killing women. Oh my, that's a really good point. Really good point. Yeah. So okay, if you if you take Lizzo's, I did this Your one kid. time. I took I took Lizzo's lyrics. I took one of one of her songs, and I was just like, what would happen if I replaced this with like the the male pronoun or the whatever like the female pronoun where she's talking about 
uh, things. And I was like, this would be pretty horrible. Like, this would be pretty awful. Like, I don't think oh. you would want to hear this. It would not be nice you make- at all. Yeah. You make a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So don't do that, folks. So you're grade schoolish. You're driving things. Um, I One story that I don't know a lot about, but I know happened, is uh, I want to hear about what happened with the four-wheeler. And mm. uh, you you had a little little incident with a four-wheeler. How old were you? And what happened? Yeah, I can tell you all about that one. That one sticks in my mind pretty clear. Um, so Kara was going to get her driver's license. She had flunked driver's ed a couple times. But this time, she was going to go over to Phillipsburg, pass the test, get her license. And I was 14. And I was going, and I was going to get my farmer's permit. And uh, we went over there. And... Kara goes to take her driver's test and flunks. And I was like, you know, sorry about your luck. And then mom's like, nope, we're going home. And she wouldn't let me go get my thing because Kara had flunked hers. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. Like, this is, these seem like totally unrelated events. (laughs) Yeah. I don't believe that my fate should be tied to her. Like, really? If I had known that, I would have coached her. I would feel like I would have helped her out because I knew she was a terrible <laughs> driver. Yeah, I was well aware, but I had no idea that my fate was tied to hers. So anyways, I got all pissed off about it. I went back home. And uh, so we're, you know, back home and nobody has a license now. Nobody. You know, still a, now instead of three people having licenses, one does, right? Mom. Right. Well, dad, dad too, obviously, but. Yeah, he was he was on harvest uh, yeah. most of the time. So, um, anyways, yeah. So I take off down. Uh, I was down in the Muir Draw, the draw south of the house that we were living in, uh, which this is by this time we had a trailer house that was precariously parked right next to the other house, so that you could jump right door to door, lined them up just so you could right yeah. through efficiency. And uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, I went out there, and I remember it was a cane field at the time. Uh, that draw was cane and it was already bailed and the bales were already off actually. So um, it was as bare as it was going to be basically. Uh, but anyways, I flipped around. I was, uh, I don't know. I told, I think I said I was going to go check cows. I wasn't, I was just like Meow, going fast. And I went as fast as I could through it. I had this little kind of track sort of that I would race with it consistently and just have fun. And so then I came back around and I was coming back towards the house. And to this day, I don't know what I hit. I, I, cause I went back once I got out of the hospital, I went back and I looked and I couldn't see anything, but somehow went out of control and uh forwarder it tilted up and then it tilted down. And then I got thrown off the left side of it. It went to the right. Um, I landed on my chest and I skidded um, for about hundred, 120 feet. Um, and uh, as I was skidding, it was, I, I remember it in slow motion because I could, I counted the number of times the four wheeler rolled. So it rolled like uh, five and a half times. And I was just watching it just, and it kept up with me. Um, and so then it stopped. I stopped, whatever, there, flat on the ground. Uh, I roll over and I look down 
And I, I look at my legs and um, I see like the skin bulge on uh, my, my left or sorry, my right calf. I see the skin kind of bulge out and then I move my leg to the right and I saw it bulge out on the right. And I was like, part of my mind was like, that's the bone inside slapping and it's not supposed to do that because it's supposed to be solid. Um, and part of me knew that yeah. and the other part of me was obviously in shock already. And I wanted proof. Um, this where like my legs are shaking thinking about this right now. Um, yeah, I wanted proof. And so I got up on one leg on my good leg. Um, and I jumped as high as I could. And I was like, I'm going to prove that that leg is still good by landing on it. And so I jumped. Oh, and by the way, God. I could jump really high. I was five, eight and I could dunk. I was in, I was a uh, eighth grader at the time and I could good. dunk a women's basketball just barely. Like I could get it just in a volleyball. I could do fairly good. A women's basketball. I could just barely do it. A men's basketball ball. I could, I couldn't quite get it in, but like I could jump high. So I jumped high. I came down and I landed on then and then I had like had this like back to reality real real fast like then then the pain really happened um did you think you made so it worse it was, I don't know I have no idea know. what's it matter it's in the past um so your leg is and, is, uh, is not not looking like a leg I mean I don't think it was I don't think it was in good shape I I, I don't think so I'm pretty sure it was probably who knows it's possible. It's possible. It's quite, it's quite possible. It couldn't have helped. Let's be honest. It could not have helped. Nothing about yeah. that could have made the situation better. Um, and I crawled, uh, I crawled through, uh, I crawled for quite a while. Um, about a quarter of, not quite a quarter of a mile. And I could see Kara was sitting in the bay window of mom and dad's uh, room in the trailer house. And I knew that the window was open. And so I started yelling for her and she finally eventually heard me. And then she finally acknowledged that she heard me like a while after. And then she finally came out. Yeah. And I remember the first thing she did was she was, she was mad at me because I was mad at her because she flunked her test. And I was, I was only mad at her because I was probably because I was mad at mom. Cause I was like, why, like, why, 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 why am I tied to this? You know? And so she was mad at me. So the first yeah. thing she did, she walked right past me and she went to the four wheeler, which was on its side and she flipped it down and then she checked to see if it would still start. And then she came over to me and then she, I did, I think she realized, you know, something was up. Uh, and then grandma, yeah, grandma Susie and Patsy showed up. Mom showed up and uh, they picked me up in the old Suburban um, and they took me to the hospital and then they shot me up with some stuff and then they put me into an ambulance and then they shot me up with more stuff. And then the ambulance ride, I remember him telling me, so it's supposed to take, what's it take? It takes 90 minutes to get from Manhattan or to get from Norton to Kearney. Um, I think he said he made yep. it there in 40, yeah. he, he made it there in like 45 because it was Harold. It was the guy that delivered gas to the farm and they thought that I might be in pretty bad shape. And, um, so he was 
like that was part of his job, you know, or whatever. He drove the ambulance. That was just his job. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, so he hauled ass and I remember, I think dad was saying, he was like, it was real lucky or Harold told dad, I think told dad later, he said it was lucky because they had just gotten brand new ambulances, I think, but the new ambulances had governors on them and the old one didn't. And he happened to be driving the old one that day. And the old one would do like 120 and the new ones would only go like 90. So yeah, he got me up there in a hurry, but I do remember about the, the trip up there on the trip up there. um, So my leg was broken. um, Very. uh, Let's see. So. They, they strapped me into the gurney and they strapped me in very, uh, like with the straps, very low across my ankle, lower than where mm. the bone was broken. Right. So like, so like the strap, the straps like right here and the brake is like up here. Right. And so they, yeah. they got me doped up to the point that I kept going or I don't know, it was, it was probably just shock too, but I was going in and out of consciousness and I kept having lucid dreams and the dream was always the same. And it, it always ended. The dream was always that I, you know, I'm, I'm in the ambulance and we're flying down the highway fast, whatever. And mom's there and mom was in the ambulance with, and I think somebody else was too, like an EM, though there's an EMT obviously. And I kept thinking, or I kept having the dream and it would end one of two ways. It would either, um, it would either mom would tell the ambulance to stop and she would just get out and leave and the door and they would, and I would be like, what, you know, like not good or Come the back. doors on the ambulance or the doors on the ambulance would open and me on the gurney would go flying out <laughs> and, uh, and I would like wake up. So either, either one of those ways, <laughs> but either one of those times, no matter what happened, when that happens, so like when the ambulance stopped in the one or when I hit the ground coming out of the ambulance on the other, whenever that happened, I would like my whole body, I would try to like jump out of the gurney. And so all of my muscles would just contract and I would try to move, but I was strapped in and I couldn't move except for yeah. here. So my part of my leg would come flying up and the other part would stay strapped down. And I do remember oh, that hurting gross. a lot. Yeah. And then I got to the hospital. I remember oh, man. the last face, the last face I saw before I went under was, it was like a candy striper, like a volunteer, but I thought it was the doctor and I was terrified. And I do remember that. I th- I remember thinking that I was going to die because this 14-year-old was going to operate on me. Uh, oh, my and God. And then I woke up. I woke up, and the first thing that I remember coming out of surgery. So I was supposed to be in surgery for like an hour or something like that. It ended up taking me like seven or eight to come out of the anesthetic. Um, like long enough that people left like mom like went somewhere you know like she's like i've been waiting here forever oh wow you know so i woke up and when i woke up um there was a priest and two nuns praying over me and i was not catholic 
but I knew what last rites were. And like, my first thought was like, oh man, I must have, like, I must really be dead if they're like giving last rites I'm to dead. a Lutheran kid. Yeah. And I was like, no, not happening. And like, I started like trying to yell or something like that. And I finally could talk and I finally said, go away, go pray for someone else. <laughs> I'm and so Lutheran. I just like shoot him out. I shoot him out. I was like, no, no. Cause I literally thought, I thought they were <laughs> there to like pray me, pray me, pray me to heaven, or at least hope, hope to get me there or something. So yeah, that's about all the interesting stuff about that. I got, uh, nice. I got serum sickness or something like that. So I couldn't move. And so I ended up being in the hospital for like, I don't know, like 11 days or something like that. Um, Oh, wow. And I remember I was telling somebody, uh, there's a nurse that I was, that, uh, uh, leads my yoga class up here. And she was talking about all the people that they have to carry and, you know, move and stuff. And I said, the one thing I remember yeah. about mine was I remember feeling so sorry for the nurses that had to work with me to like, take me to bathe and stuff because I wouldn't let them help me. And I would just like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even let them see me. I would, I would be like, like they could push me. I was in a, you know, a cast up to my hip and I would, I would get like, I'd get the wheelchair close to the shower. And then I would like crawl out of it, fall on the floor and then just like army crawl and like crawl around the corner and like take oh my. my clothes off or whatever. And then like, crawl under the shower and like turn the shower on and just lay there. And I just knew that they were like around the corner going, you know, we, this idiot is like taking an hour to take a three minute shower or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember feeling like, Oh, you poor lady. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're just going to stand there. Like just see, and then see me come crawling back. Like, uh, Oh, Oh yeah. my God. I don't know. But I, I mean, you're a, a kid. Yeah, that's about like, it on I get that. that. Be nice to your nurses. They've four, seen everything. They don't care. Yeah. But, but I, I was the kids 14, don't know. So like, I would... ladies were weird. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So I just felt like I needed to hear that story. And I learned a few things. So that's interesting. And I remember you telling me that I think you went back to school pretty soon after that. And you had to like take state assessments, but you were still on pain meds. And you were like yeah, drooling on your out test. Rossi's class. Yeah, I drooled all over it. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I got 99 on all of them. Yeah. Rossi baited me with the uh, Sports Illustrated Baseball preview edition. He said, I think, I think it was like he said, if I made it through the test, he'd give me the, the magazine. Because I wanted, because it had the baseball preview for all the teams. Oh like it happened one time a year. One time a year, they would do a baseball preview edition where they would do a breakdown of all the teams. And I wanted to see how the Royals were. They were always picked to be last. They sucked. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, great segue there. Let's talk about the Royals because that's junior high. And I remember you, like, from my memory, you were a great baseball player in high school. Like, I'm sure you played before, but like, so this is after you've already wrecked your leg. So how does, you know, high school, what are you not doing? Because, like, you were doing baseball at a high level. You were doing FFA at a high level. I mean, how do you, how'd you heal up? How'd you juggle that? 
Yeah. Um. Honestly, I really wasn't. I wasn't much of an athlete after I after I broke my leg because I broke my leg and then a year later I tore my ACL and then a year after that I tore my rotator cuff and so I tried. I just told myself I'm only I'm I'm never going to not play baseball. Um, but I stopped playing other sports so that I could try and keep my body in shape for baseball. And I honestly think that was the wrong thing to do. I think I should have kept playing and kept moving and kept doing things um, and kept building up right. like an athletic core. So, I mean, I was okay. Um, I wasn't, you know, I, I knew I became aware when I started, well, when I started to get recruited for colleges, I became aware of what my talent level was. You know, I was a private school, college, or um, like private school, college scholarship player, or a like a junior college, um, you know, books and tuition player, or more likely a junior college walk-on. Like not, you know, not probably even going to get, at least at a good junior college. Like we had good junior college baseball in Kansas at the time. Um, and I, they weren't, they weren't interested in me. So, um, gotcha. that said, I do think about one of the things I think about is when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade, I got to go to a baseball camp at KU at Lawrence. And I walked in there thinking like I was pretty hot stuff. And I, cause I, I kind of, it was sixth grade. Yeah. I think it was sixth grade. Cause I think I had just come off this season where um, I got, there was two kids that got hits off me the entire year. Yeah. Granted it's a little league though. Oh. So like, it's no, you know, but, but also like I was, I didn't walk people. I just struck out people. I, and I kept my own statistics. And so I, I knew that I struck out like an average of like, it was like 4.3 batters per inning. And I struck out more than three batters per inning because my catcher, Nick green, he, he would drop the third strike or more likely I would throw it and it, he would just miss it. Like it would just like, it would be cause I just threw so hard and it was just such a short distance. Like, cause you're, it's not a 60 foot distance. It's a 45 foot distance. And so I remember like, that was the thing I got excited about because I started getting, learning more about math. And so I did the math and I was throwing at a like 90, four to 96 mile an hour equivalent, like because of the reaction time. Right. And yeah. So I remember like I, I did that math and I remember, Oh, that's cool. Like I'm basically throwing like a major league fastball at these kids. Like no wonder they can't hit it. You know, awesome. Like I've got a chance, maybe I've got a shot. And then I go to this camp yeah. and there really wasn't that many kids there. And there was one kid that when they put us on a radar gun, he destroyed me. He threw 79. He was a year older than me. He was one year older than me, but he threw 79 and I threw like, I was throwing like 60 in the high sixties or something like that. Mid sixties, high sixties, 65, something like that. And I remember going, he's so much better than me. I like, and, and there's like nobody else <laughs> here. There's only like 15 kids there. Right. So I'm like, I must not be that good. Whatever. Right. And so, I don't know, that was kind of sobering. And then, yeah, uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I was watching TV. I was watching ESPN, and I 
turned on the college world series and that kid was pitching in the college world series. He was a closer for Stanford. He was throwing 96 miles an hour. I was like, Oh no, he really oh. just was that good. Like that good. Like, yeah. I might've actually been a little better, especially with work too. Cause I like, we didn't have a baseball program. I, uh, I petitioned the, uh, whoever it was like the city council, the American Legion baseball program had been closed down. And, uh, Right. I petitioned the, uh, I think it was the city council or something like that. I got, I got a bunch of guys to sign a letter, um, to say that they would play. Um, I got somebody to sign a letter to say that they would coach it. Um, something like that. And like, blah, 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 I took it to them and they started back up. We had like 11 players the first year for nine positions. Oh, so wow. we we're terrible. Like we we're awful. We we're horrible. Um, but we had some guys that really loved to play baseball. Like we genuinely loved, and it was very much like the sandlot too, because there was not a lot of talent out there. Um, but we had guys that loved to play baseball. Um, I was, uh, that's so probably was what made it fun. Yeah. So that's can interesting. Tell, you say you started oh, that up, but yeah. What else? Uh, well, I wanted to tell a fun story, but it's a, Okay. So, um, when I was in like fourth grade, third, fourth grade, I was you know, good. I would, like the one thing that I knew I was good at was baseball. And so I would take people and I would be like, no, you're doing that wrong. This is how you do it right. Cause I wanted to win. Like I, and, and the only reason I wanted to win was because I knew that the more yeah. runs that we scored, the more times that I got to go bat, the more times I got to get on base, the more balls got hit, you know, like I just like the yeah. better we were, the more we got to play. And so I would help people out. There was this kid on my team. His name was Jimmy and he was really timid and uh, he wasn't a bad athlete. He was a left-handed guy with a really smooth swing, but he just was so timid. He was very meek. And I took him after practice a couple of times and I was like, here, man. And I, I was learning how to bat left-handed. I was right-handed batter, but I was learning how to bat left-handed so I could be like George Brett. And so I, I decided to study Ted Williams' right. swing. And so I was learning how to bat left-handed by, by, by learning Ted Williams' swing from his book, The Science of Hitting. And as I'm doing that, you know, I'm teaching this guy, okay, you know, the, you have to come into it like this and with aggression, blah, blah, blah. You know, and he, he did. He, he got a little better, got a little better, and then 15 – Years later, he killed his stepfather with a baseball bat and a claw hammer. So, boom. Okay. Jimmy boom. the claw. Jimmy Man. the hammer. Yeah, it went south. It was bad. Literally. Yeah. But anyways, I remember seeing the news. I that's, saw that in the news. And I was great. like, my first thought was like, I taught that guy how to swing. <laughs> I definitely oh, taught that God. guy how to swing. Yep. Anyways. So yeah, that was oh, baseball. Right. Uh, but anyway, so you asked like how I did um, that stuff. So the way that I did that stuff, and I do like when I was a when I was a when I was a district FFA officer my senior year, I was gone all the time because I just it was more fun. It was yeah. more fun to not be in school than it was to be in school. And I made deals. So I made a deal with the English teacher who was also the forensics coach. And she like said, Hey, I'll let you off on something. I don't know what it is. If you go to a forensics meet. And I was like, hell yeah, that's great. Awesome. So I went and did improvised speaking. 
Um, and I also like, I did, uh, I, I also took, I knew that I was going to be gone. I knew I wanted to be gone. And so I took the, uh, like self-directed class or whatever it's called, um, where you just have a block of time where you work, work on nothing or well, you work on one. I don't know what it was called. Anyway, so I, like I it had wasn't a whole available to me, but that's great. I had a whole semester where my class was, I was working on a poetry project where I was putting together a book of my own poetry. And so I spent the whole semester, I didn't work on it very hard. I screwed off a lot, but I still had a lot of poetry and I put it together in this book and I like made a nice, um, I like made a cool like uh, cover for it by like burning. I think I burnt the paper, you know, made it look cool. Yeah. I, I remember that. seeing that. Yeah. But I don't who, know. I, I so think that's did gone. you want to do poetry? Yeah, I started or writing did poetry somebody... when I was little. Yeah, the first like the first poem I ever wrote was to either Tara Ward or Megan. It was probably Megan Walter, and it was probably a Valentine that I wrote when I was in first grade. And it would say like I just would rewrite the tra traditional like roses are red, violets are blue. You know? Yeah. I don't know you run you run really fast and i like you or something like that it was probably that because megan ran ever... really fast she was faster than me yeah sometimes yeah for like one year okay yeah i that's then kind of that no that was on my list but now though now that was she's on my list to, me, she's still to in talk good shape. to you about like oh heck yeah that's cool i'm not but we'll find it but that was kind of on my list to ask you it's like where did the poems and or the music like start to kind of creep in because I mean we haven't even so we're in high school like okay what year did you graduate high school 2000 2002 so in high school you'd been great baseball player one thing you didn't mention you like started the cross country team didn't you I was a charter not member exist? so this was this was kind of like a trade actually so some of the guys that joined the baseball team, they were also, this was when Drew Sebelius was trying to get a cross country team started. And they were my, they were the guys that had agreed they'd join the baseball team. So I kind of felt obligated to, <laughs> plus I, it was, uh, I blew my <laughs> knee out. I blew my knee out freshman year. And so this was sophomore year, sophomore year. I, I just, I was I was still so in the mindset of I don't want to play football because I don't want to ruin my chances at playing baseball. And I was just terrified of getting hurt playing football or wrestling or playing basketball. I was terrified of hurting myself yeah. and not being able to play baseball. When I should have done it, I should have just played everything. I should have just taken it and just decided, you know, hey, it's not that I'm going to have a body that's never broken. I'm going to have a body that never quits that's that's the attitude i should have had i did not resilient um yeah yeah um so anyway you so decided to run a lot of miles instead no i didn't i hated it the first day of practice i got a ride oh. I, they dropped us off in the country and i talked somebody into giving me a ride I, I got a ride for like three and a half miles and then i jogged it in and i i will say so i my my cross country stories are much different than yours. There was one time when I, I ran around a tree, you know, when they'd have somebody to make sure that you ran, ran around the thing. 
There was one time when I ran yeah. around the thing and I came back because it was a cute girl. So I just ran around the thing and then I just came walking back, <laughs> walking. And I was like, hey, Stop. like, you know, what's a, you know, fancy meeting you here. And she's like, don't you need to run? I'm like, trust me, they are not depending on me. Like, <laughs> no. I was like, we have a team. That's all that matters. We're literally here because one guy likes to run. Three guys are trying to stay in shape for wrestling and me. Like, that's it. That's the only reason we're here. <laughs> Nobody else cares. No one guy cares about running. His mom is our coach and she's a dingbat gifted teacher who is just happy that we're all here. Like, she's the one, like, it was, it was our gifted teacher. And she was just like, like, it was just all sunshine. Like, you could do no wrong. It was wonderful. I've never seen. It was such I've a freeing thing. I've never seen that thing. woman unhappy. What else did I do? Uh, I knocked a guy in a creek one time. Oh, wait. So we ran we ran at Oberlin, um, and it had sleeted. And there was a lot of sleet. A, a lot. Like, uh, ice on trees, you know, two inches thick. And I volunteered that time to be yeah. the rabbit. But only because at the start line, I could see that like 200 yards out where it started to close in and you started to go into the trees. About that, at that point, there was a tree with a big overhanging branch. And I was like, I'm going to go jump and grab that and knock all that ice down on the people behind me. I did. Oh, my God. Majestic. Th just thousands of pounds of ice just crushing down. And then. I like dropped back into where I should have been, you know, like, like I hate, I just hated running so much. I would just like yeah. look at things to keep me occupied. And, uh, there was a part where you run across a bridge, this little bridge across the little Creek thing. And this kid, and it had like a little, a little, uh, little sidewall to it thing, you know, kind of like to keep you from tripping over it or whatever you know you, you couldn't just walk straight over it you'd have to lick, lift your leg to go over it right and so this kid tries to come in and pass me on the inside by jumping over that to get onto the course where it curves back down and i was like no 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 like you can't like you got to take the course the whole course you can't just skip and so i gave him an elbow and then i knocked him into the creek and left him there um, oh man yeah Freezing I creek was the too, recipient like, of all and that. not like a small creek at the time. Like, pretty good amount of water right. going through this. Yeah, back when Kansas um, had rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, around more, more when you were in, a little bit more when you were younger. Yeah, more when you were younger. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I kind of I want to get to college because I have some cool college questions, but I don't want to. Anyways, you're yeah. overshadowed. Well, well, we hold haven't on. talked to sum up. Hold on. Time out. Yeah. So where were we at? To sum up, we were talking about how did I do all the stuff? And I told you I did all the stuff because I made deals with yeah. people, right? Basically. Um, is that all yeah, that we talked you made about? Deals. Is that all we need to talk about? I mean, yeah, that's probably good enough. I don't know. Fair. Carry on. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. It, so, I mean, something that is like high school years that we didn't talk about during my, you know, episode because I was pretty young for the majority of this era. So um, I want to talk about Harvest and Maddie Harvest because, I mean, I was on the tail end of that. I got to drive the combine a few times and, you know, but it was, it was slowing down when I was old enough to really participate. So, you know, that's the last thing, like during your high school years, um, 
how was it to be involved in the harvest crew and and experience that type of stuff so i don't want to explain to people anything yeah okay yeah, yeah i got it i got it so Custom cutting, uh, custom harvesting, our family, uh, my grandfather, J James Maddie, J.A. Maddie, James Andrew Maddie, started uh, custom cutting in like 1950. It, Dad will see this and tell me. I don't know. Like 1954, something like that. Uh, eh, it might have been after that. I think it was after that. Um, but anyways, they um, they did a lot. Um, he was the president of the U S custom harvesters association at one point. Um, he was involved, uh, in the, you know, um, the leadership within the industry. Um, and, uh, over the years, you know, the years progressed from where they had, I think they started with like John Deere. Now I'm going to get it wrong. I don't know what model John Deere, but 95, like, I think it was a John Deere, like 95 combine that was like, you could put it in the back of the little grain trucks from the time. And that's how you got them there. And then progressed oh, wow. on to, <clears throat> I think gleaners up until gleaner went to like an L I think an L I think they had like G gleaners. And then after that, they went to Massey Ferguson's and after Massey Ferguson's, they went to cases and after cases they went and got divorced and uh stopped uh in like 2005 i think is what it was um so that that was i think 2005 was the last year um i didn't have yeah. a ton of involvement with it until after high school because okay. i was always playing but i because summer was baseball and so i never wanted to go summer anywhere baseball. yeah i didn't want to so i would go like in like in high school when after american legion season would get over then i'd go um, and so, uh, I, okay. I was, a, I was telling somebody else the story the other day. This is fun. Um, so the harvest crew was up in Regent, North Dakota, I think's where it was. And dad called home. I was 15 and I'd just gotten a truck. I'd just gotten my, my blue Chevy truck. And, uh, it was the 79 kind of sweet blue color um sapphire-ish i don't know what you say uh yeah i love that truck and i just put like i just put like uh glass packs on it and it sounded good and you know i had like two tapes that i could put in there that i had like i had like uh they got acdc's greatest hits and chris ledoux's greatest hits um good mix. and i was good just mix. yeah good mix yeah so anyways dad called and he said <laughs> So apparently they had this harvest crew at the time that most of them were South African work visa people. Uh, and there was a couple just kind of burnouts from the U.S. I don't know what they were. But anyways, uh, so apparently the two guys from the U.S. believed in WWF wrestling so much that they took it so personally that the other guys made fun of them so much for thinking it was real that one night they just left. They walked out and like hitchhiked to a bus station, like 40 miles away and just left. And so dad called and he was like, Hey, Oh man, can you, he's like, can you drive up to drive up to North Dakota in your truck and we'll put it in the back of one of the grain trucks. And then that way you can help us drive back down. And uh, so, all right, that's oh that sounds awesome. 
you know, I was like, that sounds sweet. And I was 14 and I'd like, I'd already had my license taken away by the state of Kansas one time. And, mm. um, I was just, you know, excited for life. And, uh, I might've been 16. I might've been 16. I don't know. I don't think I was 16, 15 or 16. Anyways. Um, so we get up there. I, I remember the one piece of a diet cause, cause you just had a, a map, like an actual map, like an Atlas to get up there. He's like, we're in region, North Dakota. Give me a call when you're close and I'll meet you at the, at the something to go uh, eat supper at the American Legion. He goes, yeah. He was like, I'll, I'll meet you at the American Legion in this town. We met at a town that was bigger than Regent. So it'd be easier for me to find, I guess. I think that's how it went. Yeah. Uh, I could never. But anyways, he, uh, yeah. I mean, so it's driving across, like, you know, driving across three states, you're 15, 16 years old. And the only thing he said was, if a cop tries to pull you over on an Indian reservation, just throw the ticket away because they don't have any jurisdiction. I was like, all right, that's cool. So I was just driving as fast as I could. And my truck would top out at like 95 miles an hour. It was geared really low, sucked a lot of gas too. Oh my God. And uh, there was this part where I was on an Indian reservation in South Dakota. And in that certain jurisdiction in South Dakota, I guess they just don't, they don't fix their potholes. They just come and they drive and they put like a line of asphalt over it. And it makes like a miniature speed bump or depending on how fast you're going, speed ramp, you know, could be, yeah. if you've got enough boom. So I get into one of these sections where it's really hilly, like, um, like the ones that make your stomach <gasps> go and you're like, you know, that feels weird. Oh, like I love those, that. Where you, right. Right. I love that. Right at the top of one of those, there's one of these little bump things that's a, just the, the perfect little ramp. And I wow, you flying. go flying over the apex of this thing. And I meet a uh, like a sheriff or whatever. It, but it, I was on an Indian reservation. It was like a in sheriff. Like this, like this. Yeah. Oh, 100. I'm waving. I'm waving in midair. <laughs> and he waved. He just waved back. Just wave back. He didn't even nothing. I was like, I mean, I was going to keep going anyways. I bottomed out and it was like just sparks everywhere. <laughs> and he just kept going. I was like, all right, cool. Um, yeah, got up there. Oh, my. Um, which, by the way, I don't count that. I, uh, but I, uh, so later on on that trip, um, I got into, <laughs> I got into a random high speed chase. With the uh, county sheriff, I was driving grandma's 87 diesel Suburban, uh, which would go like 70 miles an hour max. And this guy was driving yeah. a uh, a Ford Bronco, like the OJ Ford Bronco. Um, and it was just the saddest high-speed chase oh, ever. Wow. And it lasted forever. It was out in the country. I don't know how it started. I think I, I, think I ran a stop sign and I just kept going country and he was trying to chase on me on country road. roads and i was yeah and I, I think in my mind i was just like oh i'll just say that i couldn't see because of the dust uh because it was crazy <laughs> dusty up there you know um and it, in the end it was just like who who won it? it was just sad it was like like imagine like an f1 race but with bumper boats like it was just slow and sad but in the and he was slow too i mean he must have had the v6 version um it was just, and in the end, I think I just wanted it more. <laughs> just, 
I eventually lost him somehow. I have no idea how. Just eventually he was no he longer driving. there. Yeah. And I literally couldn't see anything more behind the dust and away we went. But yeah. So So how long were you up in North Dakota? Like a week or something like that. I don't know. Maybe a little more. That's we finished nuts. that harvest up there. We both have so, yeah, that was fun up there. I, I loved it up there. It was fun. You got to you got to cut canola, so, you got to cut spring wheat, um, and you got to use pickup headers instead of regular headers. And pickup headers are way more fun because it's a six foot windrow in a twelve foot header in a as opposed to trying to take thirty feet at a time with a with a straight header. And so it's just easier. Like you can't mess it up. And so you screw around, you have fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. That's sweet. That's really random. And I'm wondering, I'm trying to connect the dots here because both of us have North Dakota harvest crew stories and you're describing your blue truck. So you had your blue truck. I know there's photos of the blue truck when we randomly lived in town for one year. And I also know that that's the year. Oh, really? Is this? Okay. Yeah, that was a different one. Yeah, because that was when I was in college and I got the giant Billy Bob looking truck that I bought off bought off uh, eBay. So that's what I spent my scholarship uh, okay, uh, stipend gotta, on. Heck yeah. Yeah. No, it was a terrible idea. Pause, I, got I, like 12, my... I got like $12,000 back and I went and bought a, oops, oops, not don't curse. I went and bought a pickup. It was a dumb idea. Where were we at? So North Dakota, I just I have to interject a little bit there. When we lived in that house for that one year, I think I was in first grade, so I would have been six. Dad showed up at the house. I had, like, just gotten home from school or something. It was just me at the house. Mom would have been working or subbing or something or was with Molly somewhere. Don't know. Not sure. Dad shows up. I'm, like, six. He's like, hey, you want to see Mount Rushmore? And I'm like, and I throw my microphone. Nice. So Dad goes... Dad goes, you want to see Mount Rushmore? And I'm pretty sure I knew what it was. Like, I had definitely read about it or seen it in something. And I'm like, yeah. And so he's like, well, get some clothes. And so I had like a little, I don't even know, little tiny backpack that I took to school. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I threw some clothes in there. And I just jump in the truck. And you're a kid. You don't know how far away Mount Rushmore is. So we're driving along and we pick up a couple other guys that were on the harvest crew. And <laughs> nice. he's like, yo, we left a camper. We left a camper up there. We got to go get it or something. They left a truck. They left a camper. Yeah. They left a header truck. Some piece of equipment was stuck in North Dakota and they needed to drive up there. And we were a good, a good bit into Nebraska, like almost out of Nebraska. When dad decides to call mom. And I think she had assumed that I was home with someone. I don't know where the mix was, but she did not know that I was on my way to North Dakota with a truck full of Harvest Crew guys. <laughs> and it was just me. I remember getting an ice cream cone. Um, or no, was remind me. Do you think Christopher came? No. You have to ask no. him. Christopher and Justin went to Rapid. Christopher and his Rapid friend City. Justin went to Rapid City with us, but that was a yeah. different time, I believe. We got kicked out of Dad a, took uh, me we to got Mount kicked Rushmore. out of a go kart place at Rapid City when on the Harvest Crew. 
there was like seven we had oh, a rain day that. yeah we had a rain day so we there was like uh i think there was seven of us it was all the iowa state guys they were they were all they were all from iowa state from the uh um like their ag mechanization program or something like that a guy named neil beck and uh brian and adam gosh i forget to oh the tall yeah anyways there's like six or seven of us we go into this place it was insane they had uh indoor go-karts that would go like 55 miles an hour and they didn't have seat belts you just got in like you were in Holy like an f1 cow. style car and you were just like down so much that you just crawled in and you were tight and you were pretty safe really uh i think that's probably i bet they went like 45 55 seems like a lot i bet yeah. they went 45 i think 45 but anyways so it was just terrible luck because it was just us and then one couple on a blind date and we destroyed them oh. like we just so put you them ruined into the their wall. night like one guy caused a one guy caused like just a, a nine car pile up but yeah we yeah they kicked us out there was good times i miss those guys they're fun so guys. i mean shout out crews and kids who shout knows out, who uh, knows if they're good Adam, or not but brian brian Allen. what sorry carry on who else so, can we shout out from the harvest crew no i don't know there's a guy that the we called Weasel Tits. I don't know. He liked, they'll, he liked they'll Kara. They'll come up. He called who? Yeah. What? There's this Australian guy that they called Weasel Tits, and he had a crush on Kara and wrote her letters. And uh, okay. I don't know why they called him that. I think he had like, I <laughs> think Kara he just was... had, I think he, I think he had really weird nipples. I really do think that's why they called him that. Was he Australian? Yeah, he was Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was right. I think I got oh, that Oh, man. Right. That seems factual. So yeah. you obviously were used to quite a bit of uh, responsibility or or just uh, said yes, didn't say no, because you drove all the way to North, what, North Dakota by yourself, yeah, which I would know. I can't even mm -hmm. make it around. I don't think I could drive to Texas without my GPS. Like, the interstates make it easy, but. Yeah. I don't know. No yeah. GPS. I would, I would struggle. It's uh, it's certainly, I would recommend this to anybody. If you really want to like experience what it's like to drive again, cause you probably forgot either that or you're young enough that you never learned, but actually do print out like your, your route and, and, uh, and like map it out, know what it's going to be. And then don't even take the map, just write down the turns and just say, okay, 45 miles on I-35 exit. And then, you know, to exit 295 head east and like, give yourself the chance to fail at using cardinal directions and give yourself the chance to fail at using your odometer to click you off in between, um, in between exits so that, you know, cause then you get this relative sense of time and you, you enter into an idea where yeah. you're like, Oh, I know, I actually know what, what it feels like viscerally to travel 45 minutes at a time. And then you can lose yourself in that time and you can become a little more subconscious and you can become a little more relaxed and you can become a little more of who you actually are.
um, and you know, really good point. You know, your 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 gaze widens and you see things from a more broader prospe- uh, perspective. Basically, you see yourself as less of in a hurry and more of in the moment. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Go for a drive. That's, That's a good plan. Yeah. And roll the windows so, down. So most of your roll the windows down. I don't know, my hair gets in the way. I'd have to I'd have to tie it back. Um so you didn't really help a ton, not super active in the harvest crew until after high school, but after high school a lot of things are happening. So um you were the first sibling or kid to decide to go to K State. Uh Kara went to was it Colby and Fort Hayes? Yeah. Before? Okay, so so you were the first uh, child, sibling, whatever, to go to K-State. Mom went to K-State, but why uh, Why did you decide to go there? I didn't. It was, uh, I, I applied to one college and I didn't get in. And uh, K-State was there as a backup. It was like, it was not necessarily, it wasn't really the place I wanted to go. Um, really? And it's probably where. Better, where did know. you apply to? Uh, Harvard and I got waitlisted because I had cool. a terrible, I had a terrible, um, I had a terrible SAT two score. So apparently there's this thing that you have to, at the time they had different SAT tests and I had done really good on the ACT, but the ACT was primarily used yeah. by schools in the center of the U S and not on the, on the coast. And so if you're, applying to a coastal school, you had to take the SAT as well. And uh, nobody ever took the SAT in Norton. Nobody knew what you were supposed to do. And so they signed me up for the wrong one. They signed me up for the SAT two subject tests instead of the SAT one general test or whatever. So instead of taking the general test that everybody takes, I ended up taking three very specific tests. Like um, we, you pick the subjects. And so I picked like, I picked like history and math and English, I think. And the history was like all incredibly in-depth history about one period of history from like, it was like in the 1800s. And I like, I'd never forget. There's this one question about like, uh, what was the campaign slogan of and then it's basically the guy who lost to the guy who lost to Abraham Lincoln. And it was like, so this guy that oh got defeated goodness. at like a county level, like what was his, but it was like, it was like that apparently what if you chose his name. Yeah. If you chose like history one, it was like super in depth on that period of history. And then I chose like math, uh, math one. And it turns out I was like, I figured math one meant math easy. I was like, they're going to let you choose easy. I'm going to take easy. Like, that's just who I am. Number one. Yeah. Very lazy. I tell Grant this all the time. Very lazy. Um, and so anyways, I take the math one subject test. Well, it turns out the math one subject test is geometry, which is my least favorite part of math. And also I was a senior. I hadn't had it since I was a freshman. And then the English, I can't remember the English was, or I think it was like vocabulary. And I think I actually did pretty good on that one because it's just words. You can't really screw that good. up. But, but yeah. yeah, so I got waitlisted there. Um, I, as soon as I got waitlisted, I was crushed because I was like, well, it's like, who's going to turn down that? So obviously I'm not going to get in. Um, 
So then I went to K-State and I tried to go late and I tried to go with like a lot of gusto and be like, I called, I called up like this buddy that was at the farmhouse frat and I was like, Hey, I'm ready to rush. And he's like, we did rush like a long time ago. He's like, you can't be in our frat. Like, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so then I, so then I was like, all right, fine. So then I lived in the dorms. Right. I think there was a frat that did asked you have a roommate? Me, yeah, there was. AGR, AGR did, I did rush at AGR and they asked me to join and I told them, I was like, you guys are great guys and I love hanging out with you, but I would obviously drink myself out of college if I, if I hung out with you, you are crazy people. Um, yeah. So no, I had a roommate, um, I had a roommate, uh, that was kind of a vampire dorky guy when I was, uh, when I first started. And we were only roommates for like five weeks. He was so socially awkward. He wouldn't talk. He was just like, he bothered me. Like I just got this weird feeling and, uh, I found out from a buddy of mine. Do you think that you bothered him? Probably. I would assume so. Cause I was always like, I was always like, Hey man, how was your day? Like I I would try to talk to him and he would be like, yeah, you know, this one time I was like, Hey man, how was your day? And he was like, that was good. Um, I was like, so, I was like, I, I saw that you had some friends, you know, did you guys have fun? He's like, yeah. You know, we went out to eat. I was like, cool. You know, was there any occasion? He's like, it was my birthday. And I was like, okay. Like, okay. He was just like, he was like, he never had any enthusiasm for anything. And I just couldn't understand it. Uh, um, I found out that a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine in uh, Moore Hall had an opening or found out that he goes, hey, there's a guy in Moore Hall that doesn't have a roommate. His roommate didn't show up and he's got a, he's got the whole room to himself. And so I found out and I applied to get into that room. And uh, that guy was kind of pissed at first because he was like really excited about having a room to himself. Uh, his, oh, the I would roommate, be mad, yeah. Yeah, his roommate had like gotten there, was there for like one day and quit and left and like went home or something like that. And so they'd quit never college. replaced him. Yeah, like in a day. And uh, so then Brandon... Uh, yeah, Brandon became my roommate and we became good buddies and we did stupid stuff and we like drove to Iowa to try the best donuts uh, on a whim on a Tuesday and, uh, like Tuesday Heck night, yeah. like we like, I think we, I think we left. Yeah. I can't remember what we did. I think we left so that we would get like back to K-State as the sun came up so that he could go back to sleep and I could go to class. Um, I didn't go to many classes. I loved, I had a leadership class and that was the only class I enjoyed. It was the only class I really went to. Um, I did stand out in it. Um, We had this speech competition thing and uh, it was all the leadership students um, had to prepare a speech. And then it was like this tournament style where each week you would compete again and to see who was the, and I won. Uh, I won that thing. I think that's how that went. Solid. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I won that thing. I was really excited about was, that. I think I think I liked physics class too. That was probably it. Was that kind of um, the beginning of like sneaking into student leadership? Was that did that kind of spark you, or were you already no, interested there? I never had any interest in it at all. Actually, I had no interest in being. And like, I I had no interest in running for student body president. I had no interest in being in student senate. I had no interest in any of that until um, somebody I knew personally became the student body president. And it also happened to be that another guy that I knew was the student body vice president. 
And I, okay. I looked at him and I was like, those are guys that were Michael Burns. Um, he had been the state secretary in the FFA two years, I think, before me. Yeah, two years before me. And Grant Groney had been, I don't know if he'd been the vice president or what, but he was, a, he was a, um, an officer too. And uh, I was like, I know those guys, like I can do the things that they can do. And so, um, and then right. uh, Grant, Grant had gotten this scholar or had gotten this internship in Washington, DC that a lot of people were like proud of getting because you could go out there and it was good. It paid really well at the time. It paid like twelve fifty an hour, which was really good money for an internship. Plus they paid for your housing and they gave you like some, they gave you a transportation. Uh, they gave you tickets to ride the Metro. And so, and I got that internship okay. and I was like, well, if, if I, if I've gotten the same internships and I've done the same things in leadership, then maybe I can do the other thing too. And so that was just like, right. I never would have even, I, I literally never would have even considered it if not for the fact that I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I, I, and I saw this in front of me and I was like, I could either graduate because I was on pace to graduate early. That was why I was taking the internship in yeah. the first place. I was putting off graduation by a semester so I could graduate with all my friends. And, um, and then funny, I end up winning the student body president thing and I have to withdraw my graduate. I was going to graduate. And so I had to withdraw my graduation oh, application. Um, and, uh, well, I didn't have to, um, but it made it way easier because it was either, it was either, um, withdraw and add another major or rush and try to get into grad school immediately. And I, at the time I wasn't yeah. thinking about, I wasn't thinking about grad school at the time. Um, grad school was something I did later probably to postpone uh, yet again. Cause I really liked, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I just liked, so, uh, I, I enjoyed being in a collegial environment, you know, people pushed each yeah. other, you know? So what, um, you're going into grad school. Just for my clarity, were you majoring in one thing? Did you have a dual major? Did you change majors? What, got, what uh, was it going into? Uh, my undergraduate degrees are in ag tech management and ag economics, and my graduate degree is in ag economics. Okay. So when you yeah. say you were on track to graduate, was that with a dual uh, degree? No, I was on track to graduate with an ag tech management after? degree in, yeah, okay. I was, I was on tech to graduate with an ag tech management degree in three and a half years. And then I ended up graduating with a, with ag tech and ag econ in four, four, no, five, five. Did I graduate in this? Yeah, I graduated okay. in the spring. So I went with everybody. So yeah. So, at, okay. I, well, I did a, I did an internship that stole a semester. So technically I, yeah, I was, I was in college for four and right. a half years undergrad with a, with a, whatchamacallit, an internship. And then for another uh, year and a half in grad school. And I left grad school before I defended my thesis. And then I came back later and defended my thesis after, after I worked. And I was like, man, working sucks. It really did. Working. I just want to go back to school. Yeah. And so, yeah. well, for anyone that just might not know, ag tech, ag is agriculture, but what is ag tech management? Like what, 
Yeah, ag tech management is a interesting major, um, and it is it's unique because it's split between the college at Kansas State. It's unique because it's split between the College of Agriculture and the College of Engineering. So, it's a um, ag engineers are people that build and design tractors and things like that. Ag tech management, which is what I was in. I called that dumbed down ag engineering. So they, they design it. We take the, we take the product and we break it. And then we write a report saying, this is how it broke. This is a suggestion for how to design it. So as to not make it break again. Right. So like if you over torque or whatever, like, okay. I remember I, one of my, one of my, uh, classmates, he was excited. Cause like his first job out of college, he got to work in a, like a side-by-side like testing like off-road uh, buggies and stuff. He, like he got a, he got a raise when he broke the broke the axle on the thing because they were like, yeah, you broke this in a way that had never been broken before. Good for you. And I was like, that'd be oh my an God. awesome job. Just go break stuff all day long. So you're but, like an you're kind yeah. of an analyst. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a cross so, between okay. on, it's like between being on jackass and being a scientist. That sounds pretty darn fun. So, yeah, I mean, you've obviously got to have got to have some brains too, but uh, solving problems in unique ways. So you are kind of kind of an ag tech management graduate, but you're moving on to grad school because you got the president. But let, let's kind of rewind a little bit. You decided to run because this your friend who had done all the same things also, you know got that achievement and you're like, well, I've done all these things too. I can probably do that. So what is it, what's the process like of uh, applying to be student body president? Do you campaign? If so, is it expensive? Like who did you choose to run with you? What is it? Is it that big a deal? Is it like little, what's, what's the scope of, of a student body president? And then what's your responsibility after you get it? Yeah. So, okay. Good question. Um, well phrased. So at the time it was a big deal at K-State. It, I don't think it is anymore. Um, but at the time they had like 16 to 18,000 on-campus students and about like seven to 8,000 of them would vote. So that's a pretty decent participation rate. Um, you always knew when it was election season because the way that people campaigned was they would do chalk drawings on the um on the sidewalks they would get colored chalk and they would write you know like such and such for president right and so that's and it was ubiquitous it was everywhere on campus um okay so that's like that's it was kind of a it was kind of a big deal um you you knew who the president typically was mainly because there was this funny thing in the, in the newspaper, in the collegian called the forum. And it was an answering machine that you could call in and you could leave a message and it would be some dumb random, it was anonymous. And, you know, you could leave a not, it was all jokes mainly, or like just people saying still stupid stuff. Right. And so, you know, you'd see stuff like, Oh, you know, um, I saw like, I saw Darren Sproles dancing um, at the club or whatever. It's just weird. Like, uh, yeah, it's terrible, terrible of me to say, cause it was funny. Like it was actually funny. I'm not doing a good job saying what it was, but they would make comments. But anyways, yeah. So it was kind of a big deal. 
Um, how do you run is you just give them a piece of paper, say you're going to run. And in my case, they ask if you're married to the person that you're running with. Cause it was my sister. Um, and, uh, so awkward. I, uh, I chose Katie. Ch Katie was, uh, she was not my first choice. Uh, she was my third choice. I believe, um, there was a guy named Joe Metzen that I wanted to run with me and a guy named David Smith. Uh, Joe is a, uh, um, he's just your, he's just your, your good old Catholic boy from, uh, from Wichita, uh, just salt of the earth fella. David is, uh, from, I think he's from Kansas city. And he was just, when you go to college, there ends up being every college has like a Van Wilder. And he was like the Van Wilder of K-State. Everybody knew him. Everybody. He was this black oh, guy. Wow. He was tall. He was good looking. He was so fun. He had like a sidekick that was always there with him. He had this shorter guy that was his buddy that was always with him. You saw him everywhere. Um, Joe was just in my classes and I knew that he was incredibly smart. He was incredibly well-spoken. Um, I, I, I knew that either one of them, I was like, Joe would be good because he'd be smart. I was like, David would be good because literally everybody knows David. They both told me no. And then I was like, Katie would be good because she's really pretty and everybody likes her and maybe she'll do what I tell her to for a while. And, uh, she did like enough that we won. Right. Um, so, hey, and uh, you know, we, let's not just Katie had some of the similar experiences you I, in like leadership, like FFA through high school. So yeah, for sure, kind of knew some people, of these yeah. fundamentals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so a lot of that, and uh, and uh, and also like, well, it, I guess this plays in later, but um, so the way that you run is you, yeah, you campaign. Um, and it does cost money. And the way that you raise money is you sell, uh, t-shirts. That's how everybody had always done it. So you get campaign t-shirts and they have the name of the person on it. And then it's a walking advertisement and you're raising money and they're using that money to, I don't know, buy more t-shirts or I, I, I really don't know what they did with all the money, to be honest. Um, cause yeah. I know, like, I feel like they sold a lot of t-shirts. I don't know. Um, we took the approach because our our mom our mom did embroidery and she did um she did t-shirts and stuff like screen printing and stuff so we took the approach i said i said if i'm gonna have my friends buy a shirt that has my name on it it's gonna like i want them to wear it like i want them to wear it i want them to enjoy to wearing wear it. it yeah and so what i did was i first i first i was like first i want to make sure that it's a very comfortable shirt so it was a ringed tee that was super comfortable to mm -hmm. wear and just felt good looked good it had a cool color and then i thought well they offer it in like eight different colors like six different colors so I'll, like i'll get different colors and then maybe people will buy multiple ones and they'll just end up wearing it on more days and i'll get not only will I get more sales, but I'll also get more advertising because they're wearing the shirts. And so, yeah, yeah, we sold a bunch of, we sold some shirts that way. Um, we didn't have nearly Let's as many people. Let's talk about the shirts though, because. Okay. Go for it. They were, yeah, you, they were didn't unique. You, you were, oh, oh yeah. Cause it was back oh, in the time several. of the, it was back in the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was the other thing I did was I got like specific sizes of like extra, extra small. All the, I think I got like 
two or three small X's, whatever, up until like two or three big X's and everything in between. Cause I wanted, cause I had a lot of fat friends yeah. and I had some skinny friends, you know, and I wanted to make sure that they could all like fit in. And, um, so I got all these different ones. Yeah. Different colors. Um, but anyways, yeah, the slogan with the slogan, it was Maddie Maddie. Um, cause it was back into the time of, um, the Budweiser who's your daddy commercials. And so we put who's your Maddie on the back. Um, it was like, I was like a year or two late on the catchphrase, but it was current enough that it was still like, people would still like get it. They knew what it was. Maybe I was, I was probably only a year late, maybe. Yeah. Um, I wore those in grade school. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the time. Yeah. Um, we didn't, um, we didn't have nearly as many people helping us. And so I tried to get creative with how we did our advertising. And so the, like the best example of that is, um, we were, we were doing the chalking thing where you chalk and you put vote for Maddie, Maddie. And I had actually taken the time to make a logo. So it had kind of like a swoosh around the top part and a swoosh around the bottom part. And that was like the Maddie Maddie logo. And then you'd draw who's your Maddie. And it took a long time to do it because you were like filling in stuff and it was a little more elaborate yeah. than just like vote, you know, vote Matt and Emily. I think that's who we ran against. So it was like vote Matt and Emily. Um, and so I was like, well, if you're going to take the time to do it, should just, I, I realized that we couldn't keep up because we didn't have enough people. And also I hated doing it. I, I was, I was, I hated, hated being out there with a piece of chalk. I felt like an idiot. And so <laughs> my buddy and I, Wyatt, we went into the, uh, the, the student lounge and we took the, the logo and everything. And we like worked out the dimensions on a piece of graphing paper, how big basically, or maybe I did it. I can't remember. And I took it to him. I don't know. Anyways, Long story short is we figured out how to blow the logo up. So it was like 80 feet wide and 40 feet tall. And we stepped oh. it off and we went there at night with like eight people in the case of beer. And we're like, Hey, for two hours, we're going to make one logo. And we put it in the student union, like the courtyard right there where everybody would walk. Cause I was like, oh. if I'm only going to do this one place. I'm going to do it where all the people are. Um, Everyone. Yeah. So we did that. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. I wish I would have had pictures of that. I don't think I have any pictures of that. It was huge and it was cool and it got people's attention. And we, we actually lost the primary election and we won the general election. So the primary takes it from like eight, there was eight candidate pairs. It took it from eight down to two. And then the week after you have the general election and that takes it from two to one. Right. So they got like a couple hundred more votes than we did. Right. Or, is that right? No, they got 10 more votes. That's how it worked. They got 10 more votes than we did the first time. And we got like 500, 450 more votes than they did the second time. There's like 6,000, 5,800 total votes cast in the thing. So um, it was interesting. Wow. I remember, uh, this is odd. I got an email from a producer from the MTV show True Life um, after that. And it said something about like, hey, you know, we heard about, this interesting stuff that you did or whatever, would you consider running uh, again? And we would consider uh, you as a candidate, like consider bringing our cameras as a candidate for the show MTV True Life and shoot and shoot an episode about like the student body president thing. 
And by this time it was late enough in the year that I had just had it. Like I'd, I got accused of, uh, I love, I, I love telling the story. This is so ridiculous. I got accused of sexual harassment because I took the keys away from two girls on a trip, um, to Stillwater to represent the college at a big 12 student governing conference. I took the keys to the student van away from them because they took the student van through a drive through liquor store, took pictures with, with them holding booze in the student van and posted them on social media. And I said, look, you just, no, like you can't do that. You're here representing, like be a good representative of what you're supposed to be. And also just don't do that. Like, and, uh, yeah, so then I, and I cried too when uh, the dean was like, he made me apologize mm -hmm. to him. And I, I wish like, that's probably one thing I regret. I, re I really regret not just standing up and being like, no, like this is just wrong. Like, and I, I didn't the, do all, this. All I did but, was, yeah. I just, the, the, only, the whole thing was because I said, you girls aren't, aren't allowed to drive or like, like, cause he didn't address us as women. I was like, you're acting like girls, yeah. you're acting like children. That's what I meant. You're like, you're acting like a child. Children don't do this. You're a grown up. You're here in the capacity of yeah. one of them was a student senator and one of them was this, the vice. One of them was a student senator and the other was, the, oh, no, I think they were the, yeah, they were the chair and the vice chair of student senate. But they were both people that okay. we had beat in the election and they hated us. So, yeah. Oh. Still do probably to this day, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you got to do some significant things while you were um the student body president i remember um i think you were pretty involved in the parking garage was that during your time man if we're leading off interesting things with a parking garage i don't know that's really capturing well, attention it's interesting I, that a student has input because i never would have thought that a student body would have input on just park like it was weird to me that you were involved. It was pretty much done. Um, like most of the groundwork had been laid before me for that. Um, Cause Michael Burns had done most of the groundwork for that. And I just kind of like, I think I just basically nosed it across the goal line. Um, nice. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's so, like, it's a, it's a student thing. Like it's a great way to get students convinced to use their own money in order to make a building better for somebody down the road. Cause like, the people that pay for it don't get to use it. It is kind of a yeah. cool, like in that, in that regard, it's, it's neat, but um, yeah, it takes a lot. I did, I, I, I had a lot more involvement with the rec center, with the rec renovation um, where we added thousands of square feet and totally renovated it after, cause we went and toured um, Oklahoma state and Missouri and KU and I want to say somebody else too, I thought, but, we took maybe, maybe Oklahoma, maybe, maybe, maybe Sooners. I can't remember, but we toured a bunch of other, other ones. And the one like Missouri at the time had just opened a brand new rec center and it was voted the number one in the nation. And it was wild. It was oh. amazing. And we're like, but they, their students paid $400 a semester to use it. And we're like, at the time, I think our students paid like, I don't know, like eight, 12 bucks to use Chester E. Peters Recreation Complex, and we're like, eh, probably a lot to ask them to jump up to that. So we kind of settled on a mid-level thing. But no, I um, I met I met Bill Clinton with uh, staples in my pants because they had been ripped out by Willie the Wildcat. I'd I'd loaned my suit to Willie the Wildcat so he could shoot a skit where he had to wear a suit, 
and he was doing backflips yeah. in my suit and he, and he ripped the, uh, he ripped the ass out and I didn't realize it. Um, and so I go to put it on, I put it on as I'm going to the Landon lecture where I'm going to sit on stage with Bill Clinton. Um, like me and three other people are sitting on stage with Bill Clinton, the governor, the president of the college, me president of the, you know, that might've just been it. Maybe there's one more, but anyways, um, yeah. And I realized that my pants are ripped out. I had one of those tiny staplers in my truck. I have no idea why, but I did. And so I had pull my pants down in the parking lot of the Bramlage Coliseum and pull the seam up and just put a bunch of little staples through there. <laughs> and then of course I have to walk Man through. Stitching. Yeah. But then of course I have to walk through as a security, like a, a metal detector to get where I'm going. And then I have to explain it to social, to secret service. I was like, Hey, by the way, I have staples in my pants. I have staples. It's funny you say that because um, you got to bring your family behind the, you know, behind the scenes. And that's kind of whenever yeah, you play you... the two truths, one lie thing, I always use that as one of my like things. Like I met Bill Clinton and people never think it's true. Um, but I remember I was, I was pretty young. I don't know, 10, 11, maybe, but. I had this big coat. It must have been winter. And I was freaking cold because I'm always cold. And I remember this big dude telling me to take my hands out of my pockets. And I'm a little, oh, yeah. like, I'm just a little kid. And it had to have been Secret Service, but they're like, yep. you can have your hands in your pockets. Which was yeah. nuts. But yeah, we have a photo of, uh, there's a photo of him, like, looking right at me with yeah. mom in between us, I think. And that's nuts. Do you want to, okay. So the cool part of that story is, um, so he had met Katie and I before and, uh, John Weefald, who was the student or who was the university president at the time, he introduced Katie and I to Bill Clinton and he was proud to introduce us to people because we were at the time. And I think still the only sibling combination in the history of NCAA division one to ever be the vice president and the president of the, of the college, like note that wow. it never happened ever. And uh, anyway, so he introduced us to Clinton and he's just super quick witted. He's like, oh, I've got some nepotism going on around here. So he, like, he was really funny and he was very captivating. And he also has very, yeah. like, he had like very, I don't know, it's like weird hands though. Like small hands that are kind of like. Did he have soft hands? Well, soft I think, hands creep me out. But I think when you shake that many hands, I think you develop a, well, I don't know. Donald Rumsfeld, I shook his hand and I felt like he was going to break every bone in my body. He was terrifying. <laughs> But yeah, it was kind of like if you shake if you shake Bill Clinton's hand, it was kind of almost like he was like putting it out there for you to, you know, that's what it felt like to me. Like um, you may touch me. I sort of, or just like kiss the ring, you know. Um, <laughs> but anyways, he said, uh, we're standing there and he, I think somebody said that the family was there, like our family was there. And he turned to his secret service guy and he said, uh, make sure I meet that young man's family before we leave. Okay. So he gets done with his speech and they go done, they get done and he goes and he shakes everybody's hand in the rope line and I'm standing off to the side. Um, Katie's a little, Katie's like, I think right up in the stands. Was Katie with you guys? I think she Katie was. Katie was in she, some photos. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. I think she sat with you guys or she, something, or she may have sat. I don't know. No. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> But they, they had to, we got it. I got everybody together after. Cause I was like, I, if he wants to meet him, I want, I want you guys to be here close. And so yeah. 
And then he walked off and he, he shook the last hand and he got in uh, the suburb. They had three Suburbans that were backed into the thing at Bramwich Coliseum. And he got in the middle one and they all just took off fast. And they made it like 50 feet and all the brake lights lit up and they all went in reverse and they all came back and he got out just him. And he got out and he came walking over and he goes, where's that young man's family at? I said, I want to meet them. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was cool. Cause he was, uh, that's sweet. He was true to that. Yeah. That's and he did. He and spent, I'm glad he spent I, some time. you know, I was really young, but I was glad, I'm glad I can remember even just the tiny bit of it because you don't, no matter who it is, you don't get to meet the president. Like that's not, it's not a regular thing. So no matter who, which president it is, like, I just think it's cool. Um, I got to meet him. Like, I met Obama too. He, he kind of had his funky I handshake saw, too. Yeah. Oh, really? I saw yeah. a video of a former President Trump signing a combine the other day. Oh, nice. He must nice. have been visiting farms and he's putting the old Herbie putting Hancock his signature on, on it. A, uh-huh. On a, on a combine. So, yep. well, that, that's amazing. So, like, yeah, I wanted Seems to get awesome. to that. The Landon lecture and Bill Clinton, like, just. No, no. Did you ever think as a freshman, you're, you've said you're lazy. You um, quite didn't really want to go to K-State, you know, all these things. Didn't. And somehow you end up inter- like walking on stage with Bill Clinton as the student body president. How the heck, what happens in between there that? Um, the, the best thing about college is that you are exposed to a demographic deep enough to find peers that can support you. So I was the only farm kid, athlete, academic, poet, kind of whatever in Norton. I was the only combination of the things that made me me. There were kids that were, you know, slightly the same in these couple categories, but not, but then you go to college and there's just a lot more guys that were girls if you're a girl but um for me it's a lot more guys that i just I, they were the same as me like we just wanted to do the same stuff we thought farming with we thought farming yeah. was cool we thought baseball was cool we thought uh farm machinery was cool um we like driving around in trucks and going sledding and stuff when it snowed we like you know like we we like playing cards like we just we kind of liked all the same stuff. We were just all the same type of guy. And so I realized that when I was in a cohort of people like me, that I became somebody that they looked up to or that they looked to for a certain thing. And um, a lot okay. of times, and, and the easiest thing that it could be was they could look to me for like optimism, like motivation, like, hey, guys, like, remember, you can always get out of this. You know, like, yeah, it might not be great right now, but there's, there's, there's options, you know, like we've, we've got options. We can figure stuff out. And I'd be like, and then I'd remind him like, by the way, yeah. you're going to have to figure this out. Cause you guys are smarter than me, <laughs> but, but, uh, but we can figure this out. You know? <laughs> uh, like I was, a, yeah, we got like, it. I, I, had a, I had a buddy call me one time. I had a buddy call me one Saturday morning. He's like, 
he told he told me that he's like he he woke up in a tree he he slept in a tree and he didn't know where his truck was and he like got back and we ended up we we found his truck or whatever but like i he had called me and i organized this like rally search party of like 35 people to go like look for this guy's truck because it became this giant where's waldo game of where did justin leave his oh, truck no. last night <laughs> and then i don't know where we found it <laughs> it was funny as hell you know so like i think i did i was pretty good at um i, I liked public speaking so when i was a uh, the thing that i was really proud of when i was i was a state ffa secretary was that um, a lot of the FFA uh, chapters at the end of the year, they have a chapter banquet and they have a speaker at that chapter banquet. Um, and oftentimes they would get a state FFA officer to do that. Sometimes they'd get somebody else, whatever. But the requests, if you were going to get a state FFA officer, the requests came through this, the office, like through Mary Kane or somebody. It's like, hey, you know, somebody wants you to do this. Somebody wants you to yeah. do that. And I remember that I had a lot, like I had more than, I think I had more than anybody. Um, and one of, and the girl that was the president was Justine Sterling. She went on to become a national FFA officer. And she, I think, I think she was a national FFA. She, she might've been president. I can't remember. Eh, she, I can't remember. Might've been vice president, but oh, wow. I mean, she was incredible. And we, by the way, we had some really good public speakers on our on our state officer team, a uh, girl named Emily Schmeider was really right. good, like tactically. Um, she, she, uh, she wasn't like a, a riveting speaker, but as far as like putting one together, you know, and then a guy named Clint Bryant, that was a really good storyteller. Another guy named Clint blaze that again, real good tactically. And actually he was kind of funny too. Clint was kind of funny. And then Melissa Hildebrand, same deal. Um, she had a good sense of humor. She knew how to make people laugh. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of talent there um, on that team that they and 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 there was like kind of some rivalry too. Didn't have to be, but there was. I think I made it a rivalry. I don't. I think if there hadn't been me, there probably wouldn't have been a rivalry. I was told uh, Lucas Haig, a buddy of mine, was on the committee that determines how they slate people for FFA office. And when they okay. do slating, what they do is they take the top two scores and they put them against each other. That way, the loser becomes the vice president because you you know that you want to have both of these people in office. They're the, just the two best candidates, and you don't want the loser to not be in office. So you're going to give them both a chance to compete for the highest, and then you're just going to hope that they work well together. And then after that, they do a snake thing yeah. where it's like three against 10 and four against nine and you know that. And so um, I was told that I had like one of the one of the top two scores, I think like the second second highest score but that they they were afraid that i would lead a mutiny if i was president because they <laughs> did they did this thing called the disc exam the disc um which is like a personality type exam where they um they give you uh ratings on how you are with like discipline and it was like discipline intuitiveness something and like the last one was um conformity and so like you know, mm. how well, how, and I was like, I was not on the bottom side. I was off the bottom side of conformity. Yeah. And they, then, and apparently that was like enough to like, to, 
cause them to go, hey, knock you out. Maybe not a good idea. Like, let's not put this guy here. Um, which is funny because I've since taken another another test uh, that called it kind of confirmed the same type of thing, which it called it a um, a uh, like a chaotic, not chaotic, but some kind of protagonist. Like I think it was, I think it was called like a chaotic protagonist, where it's like somebody who's really good at getting people up and getting together, but um, also you know is just kind of chaotic sometimes. And it used to be a point. I can of relate pride. to that. Yeah, it used to be a point of pride and now it's not now, but now it's like, Hey, I realize that if I can harness this, um, that I can bring a lot of people together, um, and being knowledgeable yeah. of that. And then, um, learning tactics, like that's why, you know, listen to Huberman stuff. That's why I do the cold plunge stuff. That's why I do yoga. It's like, try and slow things down to the point where you can be, um, utterly dependable and in and have the greatest amount of integrity to yourself and then after that if you can if you can just do that if you can just be honest with yourself then everything else just like falls in line but being honest with yourself is yeah. it takes a lot because you have to if you're being honest with yourself then you're you're measuring like every action that you're doing and you're like is this an action that is a vote for the type of person that I want to be Right. Is this something that, uh, you know, like first, you know, cause, and you can't answer that until you've answered the question of who am I, you know, who is the type of person I want to be? Do I want to be an athlete? Do I want to be a writer? Do I want to be a podcaster? Do I want to be a musician? Do I want to be a chef? Do I want to be, what, what do I want to be? And, you know, then you have to believe that you are that thing because, and, and you don't have to believe that you are that thing to, make something up that is not there. You have to believe that you are that thing because you also have to realize that it's a long journey to get there and that everybody who you look yeah. at, who everybody you look at, who already is that thing at one time, they were in the same place you were, which is I got to start. I have to start. I have to begin. I, I have a place that I'm coming from and I am nothing and I can barely pick up a ball, but I am Tom Brady. And Tom Brady was Tom Brady when Tom Brady was no yeah. good. And the only way that Tom Brady got like, good um, was, was by continuing to be bad until he was no longer bad. And then, you know, but just wanting to yeah. only not, not care about being good, but just care about being better. Yeah. Yeah. That's like you hear those people who like they want to stop smoking or they want to stop chewing. So instead, like on day one, instead of saying, I'm quitting smoking. You just say, I'm not a smoker. And like it. Yeah. Yeah. It clicks. And people, I'm not a smoker instead of I'm quitting smoking. Cause it's like, it's a different psychological process. Yeah. And if you're affirming to yourself that I am or, or I am not, there, there's a book, then you can convince there's a yourself. Book people talk. Yeah. There's a, there's a book people talk about called, um, it's something have you have you heard people talk about the quitting smoking book? Um No, I don't I think know. it's just called like it's like how to quit smoking in three easy steps or something like that. And like all of these all these motivational speakers and stuff, they talk about it and how it's just like because it goes through and what it does is it says, Look, you know, you don't want to smoke. What you want is the thing that you get when you smoke. And it's like these yeah. are the things that you get when you smoke. And they're not good for you. 
and here's why they're not good for you. And so it really is, it's just education. It's like, you know, I had this conversation with somebody today and they were asking me if I, they're like, oh yeah, I, cause I don't, I don't really drink anymore. Like, like occasionally I'll, I try to, I try to reserve it for like a very, very, very special occasion. Um, cause you don't ever want to like, I guess I don't, I don't ever want to leave out the possibility that maybe someday it'll be like transformative, but it, it never has been. But, um, I said, right. you know, I, I just did the math and it, it turns out that every time I, every time I've been involved with, uh, like the people that the only advantage I see to drinking is that you get to hang out with other people who are drinking. And typically those are not the type of people who are going to get you to where you want to go. Ergo, you probably should not drink because if you're going to drink, then you're going to be going in a direction that is not in the direction that you want to go. So, yeah. because like, there's like, there's like, uh, it's, it's very hard to think of a, like an admirable life goal that people could have like, Oh, you know, I want to build a children's hospital or I want to run a charity or I want to finish a marathon or I want to start my own business. It's hard to think of one of those goals and go, how does drinking get me there quicker? How does it get me there faster? Yeah. How does it get me there better? And it just doesn't like really fit in any of those unless maybe you're like a sommelier. And even then, probably not, because you probably have to like abstain from it to keep your palate, right. I bet, you know, so. Probably. That's an interesting topic. But yeah, yeah that's a good perspective. And I kind of like, I'm not like, maybe not to the extreme that you are, but I've never like, I never really did the, like drinking as sport has never really been a thing for me. So I, I kind of, I understand you. And I, and when I was younger, I spent a lot of time taking care of other people who drank for sport. And I, I saw so many negative things from it and experienced negative things from it. So I, you know, I don't like to feel out of control. Um, I don't like to, even the, on the edge of the moment where you feel a word come out of your mouth and you think, did that word just come in my mouth or did it come out later or sooner than it should have? That moment is, it's like a click in my brain. It's like, Nope. You know, I don't like it. I, I hate that feeling. Um, so. Well, I've, I've, I've um, been in that. I've, I've felt that way too much and it's just, yeah, it just, it's not something that you want to do again. Once you, once you realize it's like, Oh, you know, you don't have to, like you just don't have to. And by the way, you'll feel better. And by the way, you won't get fat. And by the way, you're less likely to get diabetes <laughs> and you're less likely to do all these other things. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just, not, and it's expensive. Yeah. But, and that was the only thing for me. That was the it only reason expensive. I ever I don't drank. buy alcohol very much. Yeah. Well, that was the only reason I ever drank was because I was a musician. And so they just give it to you. Like the only thing people like more than live music is trying to get a live musician drunk. So they'll just give you as much as you oh, want yeah, all the time. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm yeah, so I'm I'm kind of still in the in-betweener camp. Like I'll have I'll have a glass of wine, bottle of wine with my friend on a night, but yeah, I rarely I don't buy alcohol, I don't keep alcohol, so it's uh it's interesting. We'll have to talk about that sometime and get into that, but we've been talking for a while and so we've gotten through college mainly. Uh, there's so many things that you did in college. There's so many things that I know we didn't talk about. Um but what I really want to dip into is like where and when and how did music start 
becoming a part of Lucas Maddie. Yeah. Because um, uh, it's kind of intertwined. It's intermingled. Yeah. I started, uh, so I started when I was, uh, when I was 14 years old, 15, 14, 14, 15 years old, I started working for another farmer and, um, they had a good radio in the tractor. Uh, and so I got to listen to the radio all day, but I only got two radio stations. And so it got very, got old very quick. And so I would eventually get so tired of it because I could predict what song was coming next because there's a thing called a rotation where songs are played in the same order. And you know that um, right after uh, Smash Mouth by All Star comes up that I Hope You Dance by Leanne Womack is next. And it was the summer of I Hope You Dance, which was, it's a beautiful song, but it was miserably overplayed for a long time. Over and over and over. And Smash Mouth, by the way. Yeah. Like both of those songs. Decent, decent songs, but I was sick of them. And so I shut the radio off. I just got to the point where I shut the radio off and just completely shut off. And I was just, I'm, I'll just listen to the tractor. And then I would start to hum after a while. And then after a while, I would start to sing gibberish um, to the hum, which was like I was making up a melody with the hum. And then I was starting to put words to it. And then I would start to make up like stuff. And I would bring along a marker and I would write on the inside of the tractor window. I would write down what I was singing. And at the end of the night, when I was done, I would, when I was, when I was fueling up for the next day, I'd, so I'd, I'd go back to the farm and I'd run fuel in, I'd clean out the cab and everything. And then I had this little notebook and I would write down what I had off the window and then I'd erase it and I'd do it again. And that's where I got started writing like poetry and like poetry. And sometimes I would like take like a, somebody else's song and like, be like, ah, their words suck. Mine are better. I'm just going to rewrite that. So I did that with like, <laughs> like uh, the cowboy in me. Yeah. I did that with like the cowboy in me by Tim McGraw. I think that was like a big hit that a couple years later, that was when I, when I, that was when I started getting into, I was writing really silly, dumb stuff. I think I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was, uh, I lost the thing. I left it. I left it on the back of uh, Rosanna Rice's car when we were dating and uh, oh, no. it was at the, pizza hut parking lot and i lost it never saw it again and it had probably i don't know a hundred some different songs it had a lot in it um but anyways that's how i got started writing writing and then i went to college and i started singing a little bit i had a guitar but i never used it i didn't like guitars i thought guitars were weird because they were asymmetric i still have that belief and i have back pain because of it i think i'd okay. have less pain if i was a drummer maybe i don't know drummers i think get broke down too but Anyways, um, so I go to college and uh, my buddies would, I would sing. I would like write songs. I would Really what I'd do is I would go to class, get really bored, write poems, and then turn them into songs and then sing them at my friends, like without their consent, you know? Just sing uh, at Because I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't good. I wasn't very good. And, and uh, my buddy, uh, my buddy Adam Adam Madison, he, he, he said, well, you should, uh, you should try to get somebody to sing your songs, uh, which is obviously a big vote for, you know, me, uh, my voice, uh, They're like, you it, need to stop singing. Yeah. You know how, you know what would make this sound better if you weren't doing it. Uh, so he, uh, he talked to me and he said, you should talk to this guy named Aaron Travis, who has a band that plays at uh, Bobby T's. So, I tried to get a hold of Aaron for like the next year. Like I kept sending him in emails and he just wouldn't respond or I'd like, I think I got his number and I called him 
I don't, I think texting had actually just begun by the way. So I don't even know if I was texting yet. Um, and, uh, anyways, yeah. So he kept ignoring me, kept ignoring me, kept ignoring me. And then finally I said, screw him. I bought a guitar for myself on my 21st birthday and it showed up on a Friday and I was supposed to go on a date with the girl that I was dating at the time. Her name was Nikki. And then there was another girl that I really wanted to date that she sent me a message and she was like, do you want to go out with us? And I ignored both of them and I stayed home and I tried to learn how to play a G chord for like four months. And I was terrible and I, I was awful. And it was like, I was not good at all for a very long time. And eventually I got good enough <laughs> that I went to an open mic night. And by the way, the only dream I had ever had, like my biggest dream in music from when I, I was, when I was a freshman, because by the way, it took me four years to buy a guitar. When I was a freshman, I was like, I'm yeah. going to be a, I'm going to do music. And it took me four years, three or four years, I think, to buy a guitar. Three years, three years, 21st birthday. And uh, my only dream had been to play at the open mic night at um, Gumby's Pizza, at Gumby's Pizza, Pizza Place. They had Gumby's an open mic Pizza. night. I went there one time. And by the, by the time that I got a guitar, Gumby's was closed. And so the open mic night had moved and it was at Longhorns and I went and I played, um, Aaron, uh, was running the, actually, I don't think it was called Longhorns. I think it was called kickers or not kickers. It was called something dumb. I think, I think it was in the interim when it was something else. And not one of Matt Church's, one of Matt Church's ventures. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so I went and played and. Aaron came up to me afterwards. Aaron Traffos was running the open mic night and he came up to me afterwards and asked if I wanted to open for his band the next night. He was impressed with the, not because of the music that I played, not, not because it was good, not because I was good, but because I was the only person that only played original songs. Nobody else, everybody else was at the time. Everybody got up there and Covers. played. Well, specific, like everybody at the time was playing uh, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish or Wagon Wheel. For some reason, there was just a rash of Wagon Wheel and Hootie and the Blowfish just running its way through. Oh, man. And yeah. So to have something that was original was nice. And then the next night, I opened for Aaron's band at Bobby T's and I played like seven songs and I broke three or four strings. I broke two or three strings on my guitar. And then Aaron gave me his guitar and I broke one or two strings on that i used to hit the strings so, so hard is that, I, I broke strings every i was gonna show. say what do you do act like you just you, you're just, just abusive cool, to the guitar yeah i mean you gotta change <laughs> so them out that's why people it, have guitar techs at what point did aaron realize that you're the dude that's been emailing him for a year oh he knew oh he knew yeah he, he knew. knew he, he knew. was well aware Oh, he was well aware. Yeah. Put two and two together. Well, so, and also, also so, like the whole time, like the whole time, like, I mean, he was a K-State student a couple of years ahead of me. And then like, I was a student body president. Like he knew who I was. Like he knew, yeah. you know, he was aware. Wow, yeah. Aaron. Oh no, he was intentionally, hard, he was intentionally ignoring me. He has a great, he won't, he won't play it for anybody, but he has a great voice note that he left himself from the moment, from the night that we met. And uh, I hope that he wills it to me so that I can play it for the world. Oh, yes. Because it is. Aaron has 
he won't let it out. He, he, he played it for me one time and I think he's afraid of, he's afraid of the retribution <laughs> that might come, but oh it my. is fantastic. What Aaron said about me the night that he met me. It's awesome. So anyways, yeah. I'm so, I'm so intrigued, but yeah, I yeah. mean, if for, for all you 22 listeners, Aaron Trappis, if look him up, he has one of the most unique voices I've ever listened to. Like he has, when he's, yeah. you know, it's Aaron Trappis singing. Like I, there's never a, yeah, he likes to a doubt to me that mm-hmm. song comes, like it's him. He's yeah. yeah. And he's very intelligent. Just, just very like unique. you, which is something I want to get mm-hmm. into because um, I, I think, um, sometimes musicians are maybe like thrown into the art pool, like, oh, they're the creatives, they're the artists, but, um, you know, maybe it's getting better now, but, um, a lot of people might not think of a musician as an intellectual person, but to meet the, the musicians, the musicians that are close to me, you and Aaron that I've interacted with, and then some other some other friends that I have that are musical, it, they're incredibly intelligent people, um, and it's a, it's it's hard to put two and two together. Like, how do you create music and um, also have the vocabulary of? See, I can't even find the word. How do you create music and also ace the I didn't How and why does that fit together? I didn't. I didn't ace the ACT. I got thirty-four. That's not ace. That's well. I was still. I was. I'm it's, still. It's I'm still sore, still sore about that. I want. I wanted another chance. Um, I think uh, most songwriters are readers. They're they're story consumers who become storytellers uh, because they have a love for storytelling. So I think you get a lot of that. Um, and I think readers are just naturally, not naturally, reading, not not naturally at all, actually. Reading just does make you a more intelligent person. It makes you wiser. It, yeah. it gives you the insight of somebody else that you don't have to pay your own time to learn. And so if you act on whatever that insight is that they give you, if you take action on that and they say, hey, here's something I did. These are the 30 things that I tried before I found one that worked. Here's the one that worked. Here's how to do that. You can just do the one thing that works and skip all that time in between. Right. So however much time they saved, you know, you get to skip that. And so um, I think I think songwriters are kind of a little bit that person where it's a combination of the, you you do like stories, but you also like. So I like I like taking an idea and looking at it from a different perspective. Like that's what kind songwriting, like really good creative songwriting, it takes something that you see every day, that you interact with every day, that comes into your life every day. It takes something, and because of the way the words are phrased. And because of the words that are chosen and because of the way that they are delivered, it paints a whole different picture that you didn't realize that that's there all the time, but you don't give it your full attention to appreciate that it exists until somebody spells it out differently for you. Because what they say about perspectives is that uh, you never know that you have one until you lose it, right? So you, you never realize that you have a perspective until it changes. 
and you're like, oh, right. Oh, that's how that works. Gotcha. And then from that point on, you're just like, <clears throat> every time that situation comes up, you're like, nope, I know how this works. Gotcha. I can move on. You're like you, you're not going to make yeah. that mistake again. So, um, but you're still going to have blind spots. And so like, you're always going to have blind spots. You're always going to have things that, um, are, it's just whatever you're not dealing with, like whatever thing that you're not settling or solving or taking care of in your life, that's your blind spot. Um, and so you are going to be apt to, um, you know, to still, to still have the opportunity to be surprised, you know, in that, in that regard where it's okay. like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm kicking butt in the gym and I'm doing great, uh, at work, uh, but my personal relationships suck. And then you're like, Oh, you know what I could do? Like I could, like, I could just like take, uh, five minutes and write down a couple things that I like about the person that I'm going to call before I call them. And, uh, and that's probably going to make it more likely that I'm like in a good mood to listen to what they have to say, because, we're, you know, phone call is like a, or a phone call or, or a meeting with anybody. It's a, it's a social contract and you've got this contract between two people and you're agreeing, you know, like if it's a friendship, the friendship thing, the way that the friendship works is if it's a healthy friendship, it's, Hey, I'm agreeing to like, give you my full attention because you are, uh, because, because you're agreeing to not ask for my full attention unless it's worthy of it. Right. So it's like this, it's this mutual contract where it's like, cause that's what it is with your friends. It's like, you get my all, but what you give me is that you don't ask for my all unless you, unless you need it. That, that's how you don't become a, a toxic relationship where one person is just pouring into yeah. another person. Right. And they have, so yeah. Anyways, suffice to say, uh, no, I don't know. I think you read a lot. I think you're curious. I think, I think you're curious. I think you're just, you're just curious, like you're interested in doing things a different way. Aaron's a perfect example of somebody who does things his own way. And because he does them his own way, he does them better than anyone could ever do them. Right. He, he right. is the only one. He's the only guy who sings punk rock, ag influenced, left leaning uh, country Americana rock music. Like he's the only guy. And so if that's your thing, he's your guy, you right. know? And so, um, in that regard, yeah, like he's like, there's no, right. there's no, I'm not trying to appeal to everybody thing. He's like, I know who I am. And, uh, and I've learned from that. Like, that's what I'm trying to do now, which is I, I learned that if I really truly wrote about the things that were just truly authentically me. And then I performed them in a truly authentic me fashion. Um, then I would draw people that were truly engaged with the authentic me and they would enjoy learning yeah. from me and I would be comfortable with them and I would enjoy yeah. them as people because they're the type of person I would enjoy because the type of person I would enjoy is the type of person who enjoys the things that I would enjoy. And so yeah. you find that you like, think... it, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. You find, and, and, and then you end up making friends with like, that's where you get uh diversity of everything because there's so many different types right. of people that are interested in the same things that you are, that 
uh, you end up catching these niche people that they come to the same interest, but for a different reason. But you're both there fulfilling the thing that makes you yeah. uniquely you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so I'm so glad you brought that up. Like, that's such a it's it's kind of like in marketing, but like if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. And I tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. but I think something just like what you described has just happened. Um, and that's with Oliver Anthony. He, oh, yeah. he, he wrote about his life yeah. and what was wrong when wrong in his life and how he wanted his life to change and, and how he felt and he was doing it for himself. And it's become like a phenomenon. And just that last thing he said, people from they're taking his, his words and they're kind of making them fit um, their circumstance almost, but it, but it never would have happened if he hadn't written the song as himself and performed the song as himself, instead of trying to be something that it wasn't. Yeah. I think, um, so you, I've had a couple of people ask me about that song. So apparently it's still doing well. Yeah. And I, and I know I saw a couple different times. I think it's been like a couple of weeks in a row that that song has been half or more of all the downloads in country music, all the, like all the paid downloads. That one song is half of the wow. entire industry right now, um, which speaks Richmond, a lot about Richmond, the in North of Richmond. Richmond, North of Richmond. So my take on that is like you said that there are people that are finding a way to identify or like find a way to make the words uh, fit their circumstances. I would say that what, yeah. and I think he's done this well, I would say that what he's done is exactly what I was just saying to you, which is that he took something that you see every single day and he put it in words that made it mean something to you. And it caused you to have a change of perspective. It caused you to go, okay, hey, you know what? This isn't right. This is not, yeah. what's going on is not okay. It does not make sense. And that's like, that's the most bothersome thing about somebody who is just, when you think about somebody that really just wants to do good, what they really want is they want the opportunity to like move about the world and not be held up by, by things that they don't understand. Cause if you don't understand it, you get, you get stuck and you have to, you have to stop doing what you're doing in order to solve that problem. And yeah, I think, yeah. I think what that song does is it points out a lot of things that don't make sense that people go, I'm, I was aware of this thing and I was aware of this thing as well. But when you told me in one sentence or in seven words in a music lyric, when you told me how this thing is this way and also this thing is this way, and when you put it that way, boy, that really doesn't make sense, does it? You know, then that can cause people to go, right? Mm, that really resonates with, and, and that's what that's what's happening. It's it's a song that's resonating with people, so there... and you know that it's resonating because it's not a. Um, Usual, usually one hit wonders, like something like you think about Gangnam Style and you think about um, Barbie Girl or Barbie World or whatever that's called. You think about all these right. one hit wonders. Uh, Huberman talks about this. Um, they are typically pop songs. They're typically super catchy 
candy, sugar, sweet, diabetes inducing melodies that they just catch and they take people for a while. Chumba Wumba, Tom something, yeah. right? stuff like that. This song is not, songs, yeah, this song is not that. This song is, this song reminds me of, uh, if, if I was to put it up next to anything, I would put it up. Like, it feels like, um, the, uh, hello, darkness, mild friend. Uh, what is that song? Oh, by Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel, but not the Simon and Garfunkel version, the version by the, by disturbed. That's, I mean, Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. Awesome. But the way that disturbed, the way that that guy performed that song, he made it. Simon and Garfunkel had a song about something that was like, you know, society collapsing and seeing this all around you. And it was a beautiful harm. It was a beautiful melody with beautiful harmony. And it was just, and it was up and it was fast and it was upbeat and it was hard for me to relate to, but disturbed, they, they slowed it down and they made it just ominous. Really deep. Yeah. By the way. Do you know the story about the Hello Darkness, Mild Friend, the line? No. Okay. So one one of the writers, uh, see, there's, uh, it's Art Garfunkel. It was Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel had a friend who was on top of the world in college, had everything going for him, was going to be like a doctor, was going to marry this beautiful girl, whatever, gets this like rare disease, goes blind and uh, loses all hope in himself, loses all faith in himself just goes downhill, just drops out of college or something that like becomes whatever awful. And, and art at the time was a struggling musician, wasn't going anywhere in life. And he would come, I think, I think he like, he, he heard about his friend that was like his, it might've been like his college roommate. I think is what I thought. And he came across the country to like be with him and he would come read to him and he would come like kind of try to get his spirits back up. And he took him out. He tells about how they took him out, took him out to the subway and then left him and made the, and the guy, you know, can't see and art left him and he's in the subway. And so now he has to figure out how to get home and he does. And he figures out how to get home and he walks in and he shuts his door and he something. And at that point he realizes that art had been with him the entire time. He just never left. He was just proving to him look, you've got the power to do this on your own. But he wasn't. And that, yeah. And that gave the guy the power to turn his life around. He like ended up becoming like a doctor. He married his high school sweetheart. He had all these kids, this wonderful thing. And uh, Art Garfunkel, I think this was a little, uh, was later. He needed like $400 to record an album. And uh, the college roommate was turning his life around, but he still didn't have any money. He had like $411 mm. in his bank account and he gave like all of it to Art Garfunkel to put out this record and the song on the record. Wow. Um, what was it called? Sound of Silence. So the line, hello, darkness, yes. my yes. old friend. That's what he used to call his buddy when he walked in. He called him darkness because he couldn't see. Darkness. Just like Charlie, just like Charlie Murphy. Darkness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. That's an awesome that's, story. That's incredible. So, man, I've kind of lost track of where we're at. I mean, uh, I think so, we were getting into music, yeah. Um, or like yeah. music and you said music and the last question was like music and music and how weird is it that you're kind of smart? That was the question basically. Yeah. How is it music? Yeah, Newton Travis. Yeah. 
Because some, I mean, um, uh, so you have to be dedicated. You have to be smarter than me. Yeah. So I don't know a, a ton about like details of um, your campaigning or your 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 music journeys, but I know that you know you were you were really prominent in Manhattan. Like you played played a lot of bars. You were like a big local name. Um, you started to get a little further away. I know at one time you were nominated. Or a couple times you were nominated for a Rocky Mountain Country Music Award. Um, you were you were named Nashville Songwriters Association One to Watch. Is that the correct? And somebody's been reading my website. Uh, title? Nice. No, I That's remember like... that. So anyway, my question though is why not? Why not do the Marissa crazy thing? Moved to Scottsdale. Why not go to Nashville? Did that ever? Did you ever even think about it? Um, yeah, I wanted to go. Uh, the first time that I was serious about going was in two thousand like eight. I was a financial advisor with Edward Jones. I hated it. I I just started playing in a band. Um, I just put together my first band, um, and I was getting gigs, and people were complimentary, and I'd run into some people that said, you know, hey, you've got a good voice, and you write, you write okay. And, uh, they had connections in Nashville and I, I really wanted to go. Um, I remember the thing I let, I let myself stay at home cause I had been talking to dad and it was, it was not a good time on the farm. It, things were not going well. And so I ended up instead of going to, I, I'd like picked out a place, by the way, have you seen this video recently of the Stacy's mom thing? Uh, the Stacy's mom song that went viral a couple of weeks ago. The guy's name, the uh, artist's name is, is it Will the King. Original Stacy's mom? No, it's like a, no, it's like I a, another version. It was like written from somebody, else, but it went viral here a couple of weeks ago, like blew up huge. Uh, that's Will King. Will is the guy that I was going to live with when I went to Nashville. We had talked on on MySpace, and uh, yeah, no I'm shit. pretty sure it was MySpace. I think it was my. It might have been Facebook, but. Um, yeah. And we were going to move in together. He was like, just, he'd just moved to Nashville, I think. And I found him on some website when I was looking for a place. And anyways, I chickened out and I didn't go. I went back home. Um, uh, and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of, there was always like, there was always like fear of being broke. I was, I was I, basically, I was always looking around and I was like, I was raised by people that were broke. I don't see anybody around me that knows how to make money. It doesn't seem like my siblings are doing very well. Somebody is going to have to make money. And so I would always just take the easy way out and go grab a sales job with somebody. Um, and it was a way to keep me from chasing that basically. So yeah, um, that right. was then. Yeah. You that was then. took the responsibility so this first. Is now. Yeah, but my follow-up question to that is, so now, you know, we've been through the, we've seen what's happened with Oliver Anthony, like he's getting, he's getting tailed for contracts and, you know, I hate to even bring it up because like it's such a culty thing, honestly it is, but we've seen what happened with Taylor Swift. She's re-releasing all of her stuff as her own. So, so knowing what you know now about how Nashville works, are you kind of glad you didn't do that? 
No, I'm, I'm like, I, I, yeah, 100%. I, I mean, I have so many friends that have bad experiences with that. And it's not just, I mean, it's from the contract perspective. It's from the ownership rights perspective. It's from them changing your identity perspective. Um, the money you get on the back end, having to pay back advances, like all these things that do not sound like fun at all. So I'm right. I'm very glad. Um, and the other thing that it, it does, like, it's the same thing we talked about in the horse industry where, um, but probably, I mean, probably to a greater extent, because you've got people that go down there and they just, you know, they live on couches for years and years going to open mics and going to places yeah. and trying to get rights and, you know, trying to get a cut and um, always being terrified of saying the wrong thing because you might get blackballed by something like you might accidentally say it to the wrong person. And then you might, uh, but you know, obviously you will watch your mouth, read the room. Um, but yeah. no, it's, um, I think if I was, if I, if I had advice to give myself in music, it would have just been that I should have played a lot more, a lot more often, um, a lot more, uh, just a lot more. I mean, just more. Like, I, I mean, I yeah. got better every time I played. I still get, I'm, I'm still getting better. And that's the thing that blows my mind is I, yeah, I never, I was telling Grant about this. Um, you know, I'm working on this new album and it's just, it's 10 songs all put together. All they've got music that connect each of them. There's spoken parts in between every song. Like, it's like a symphony of 60 nonstop minutes of music and storytelling that, um, goes through all this other stuff. And I was like, that's so much more complicated than anything I've ever attempted in my life. And I could not have done that if I had not really started to dedicate some practice to at the, at the very least kind of understanding different positions on the guitar and different angles of which to strike um, so that you can get a different sound with either a pick or your finger or your fingernail. Um, you know, and just all these things that, realized that I was able to add a lot more color and vibrancy to what I was doing. So, um, yeah, wow. kind of, it's, it's one of those things no, I think about if you're willing to work, if you're willing to work twice as hard, you're probably going to get a result. That's about a hundred times better. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not linear feel, results, you know? Yeah. This is where like, I really feel parallels with you. Cause we're, I, we have our similarities, but we are two very, very different people, but especially when I try to explain to people what the heck I did with horse training and why I would, would have done that. Mm -hmm. I always use that Nashville parallel. I'm like, it's like going to oh, Nashville yeah. and hoping to strike it rich. You know, that's how I, and it's unfortunate that so many people know what I'm talking about when I say that. So it's already a bad, you know, industry stereotype because they know, Oh, you go to Nashville, you're broke for years and years and years. That, that That's normal. Yeah. So, um, well, it's, it's only bad because it keeps, it keeps people who, so as a musician, what's your goal? Your goal is to be listened to, like, that's what your yeah. goal is. And so how do you improve, how do you increase the amount of which you are listened to? You play more often and for more people and that's it, right? Yeah. So you play, you and just play more. And you play to more people. And when you, yeah. when you go into that industry, what you end up doing is you end up performing for a very small amount of people for a very long time, 
on the promise or the hopes of a promise that one day you'll get to perform for a large amount of people. And so the only thing that I think is bad about, I, I think it's good because it brings, it's, it's iron sharpening iron because every one of them are right. so talented. They're so talented. And they're like to watch a Nashville musician step on stage is like watching a pro basketball player shoot warmups. Like they don't miss, they just don't miss. They don't right. miss. They hit everything and they know everything and they've got, not only do they play, they've got the moves down and they know how to work with an audience. They, they know everything. Like these people are amazing. Um, and you right. know, they're all trying like to get on the weekends. But, but yeah, but if you would, if you were to take the long-term approach and you were to say, well, instead of playing here five days a week um, and then trying to play out two days a week, if I was able to support myself just playing every single day somewhere different, you know, but then that takes a lot of planning and you can do it. Like you could say, well, how, how cheap can I do this? Like, I mean, if, I, if you're willing to sleep in a hammock, you just drive to a new town, right? you know, and you sleep in a hammock, right? So it's all about like, what level of comfort are you willing to live with um, in order to move towards yeah. kind of like what you said, like people that are sleep in their trucks and that's what, uh, yeah, I've done yeah, it. Aaron's, Aaron's done it. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, you have to have something. I don't know. I think you have to have something that, um, I hope, I hope people, I hope everyone gets a chance to have enough passion for something in their life that they would be willing to have negative $10 in their account and sleep in a hammock for it. At least once. That's probably like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that, right. that people get to care about something that much. Well, um, and, the, and the thing is, it only happens so, once. It only happens once because if you get to that point yeah. once, then you you don't lose. You walk away from that with the knowledge of, hey, guess what? That thing doesn't work. And so now you can avoid that yeah. thing completely on the next time that you go towards whatever it is that you're passionate about. And you're, you're not going to hit that road, but whatever it was that kept you from getting there, you have the wisdom now. Like you have the knowledge and you're going yeah, to apply the Thomas it. Edison. And so you've got that wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Thomas Edison light bulb thing. I, I didn't, I didn't fail a hundred times. Oh, yeah, I found, 10, found 99 ways not to make a light bulb or, or, you know, whatever, yeah. how, whatever number you said, but so I hope people will, will uh, kind of look you up. So it's Lucas Maddie. Um, you have, you have stuff yep. on YouTube, you have stuff on Spotify. Um, yeah. I wanted uh, to everywhere. like back Spot to your to previous. Spotify iTunes, Amazon, Pandora. Yeah. You did what now? Everywhere. All the, so like kind of back to your previous statement about Oliver Anthony and like, or even before that, just being authentic. Um, yeah. so like Trav, Aaron Travis sings to himself and, you know, so if you, if someone were to go listen to you, what would be, what's that song for you right now? That's already out there. That's like, you feel like it's your truest, it's your truest form of oh of me like mine yeah of you yeah hmm i think the i think the most song that moves me the most is one called king size on the floor it was just so much different than anything i'd ever done it was very um descriptive and very uh, as Aaron, Aaron Traffis said he was like, he was there when we recorded. He's like, this is the first time I've ever seen a song that has no bad words in it, but it needs an explicit rating. I was like, ah, yeah, 
whatever. Uh, no, just trying to be, just trying so to be descriptive, man. Yeah. Trying, trying to paint you a picture here. Um, I like that one because <laughs> of it. it was just like, it's beautiful to me. Like I, to me, that's a beautiful song. Um, and there's another one that I'm really proud of called 1038. And I'm proud of it because it has math and it has Italian in it, which is cool. Most, most songs don't have okay. math or Italian in them. Um, so yeah, I figured out that it came from this thought that I don't like, I like the nighttime, the daytime, whatever. I just really like sunsets, like sunsets, like the golden hour, right? It's the perfect time of day all the time. Um, yeah. and so what if you could live perpetually in a golden hour all the time? And I was like, huh, what if you could live perpetually in a golden hour? Like, what would that take? And it turns out that it takes you basically flying above the surface of the earth counter to the earth's rotation at approximately about 1,038 miles an hour. That would do it. That would keep you geostationary. You'd always be looking at a sunset. I'm like, that's sweet. And then okay. there's this part in it about, uh, um, uh, there's a saying that used to be above the entrances to uh, opium dens, I think. Uh, this is from Dante's Inferno, from a book. And it's uh, um, La Siate, La Siate, La Siate Que Entrate, La Siate. Oh, man, now I forget my own shit. Soup. Your own song, man. Yeah, La Siate. La siate on esperanza que entrate. La siate on esperanza que entrate, which uh, means uh, like through. Right. Uh, uh, it means uh, abandon. Yeah, it's abandon all hope. Ye who enter here, right? Which is what I think oh. that's what you see in like pirate okay. movies too. So I don't know. I was I was proud of that because it had Italian and so, it had math. So king so size. Those would probably be yeah, king size on the floor <laughs> and um, and one thousand thirty eight. Those are probably the two that I'm. Like, I'm super proud of them. But then there's others, like, uh, I don't know, like, methanol is really funny. And it's also really kind of accurate. Like, it's a, it's a commentary on how it's pretty absurd that all of these drugs that will kill you, that we are totally aware will kill you, are completely legal. And you can get them in a white bottle. And not only that, your insurance company will say that you don't have to pay for it because your insurance covers it, which just basically means that other people who pay for it for you um and it costs them right. a lot um but yeah i think it's ridiculous that yeah there's some of those drugs that are so harmful like proven harmful like they just say it they yeah. literally come out and say it they're illegal but then we've yeah. got or they're legal but then we've got other ones that aren't legal so i don't know it's kind of ridiculous honestly but i like that I, song just for the wordplay <laughs> well i had a, i had a professor at k-state named joe arada who told us that the problem with meth in kansas was that there was no quality control he said, the, he said, if you sell, if you're in, if you're in New York city and you sell somebody bad cocaine, you'll get killed because they take care of their own. But he said in Kansas, uh, he goes, any jackass with a battery and some fertilizer, they can make themselves, uh, they can make themselves some meth. And so you, you never know. You just, you never, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So Lucas Maddy, um, to 1038 king size on the floor those would be like yeah. your most authentic songs and you have Kinda some really right fun now. ones so i really encourage y'all to like i mean there's there's some fun ones so yeah. okay i'm just gonna do a quick buzz because we are pretty long so i'm gonna buzz over you've had you've had a lot of success like you said in some sales and you were a financial officer for for a good amount of time you have a lot of knowledge there and 
you've made a little bit of money and you've done some investing. Um, and now you're in a place where uh, currently your time is your own and you're working on, you're working on this album and I think you're, you're coding. So like what, what's now and what's next, I guess. Yeah, so what's now is uh, I'm in a sprint for the next like hundred days to finish rituals, which is an app that I'm building in order to help people manage their lives and achieve uh, achieve the things that I want to. If you're if you're a person who has ever felt like you're afraid to add more to your life because you're struggling to handle what you have now, um, then it's something that should help you with uh, achieving the things that you want to, and it helps you by allowing you to uh, identify what are the things that make you uniquely new, make you uniquely you. And the things that make you uniquely new are you are the things that bring you joy. You know, so what are the things that bring you yeah. joy? How can you do them more often? Um, and the question, how can you do the things that bring you more joy often is answered by how can you do things that bring you less joy less often? You know, and so we work on uh, developing rituals and ways to live that your, live your life. Um, there's an app that I'm creating with a partner that is about hopefully about 50% done. Um, I'm hoping to have it done by the time Christopher graduates from flight school. Uh, I think that'd be cool. That's like a oh, nice sweet. race. Um, and uh, so, yeah, moving in that direction. I think I... I saw value in rituals for myself because of COVID lockdown. I ended up living um, in a town that I knew of no one. I, I got, I got lucky and I got, I got a buddy that let me stay at his place in Colorado and I knew nobody there and there was no way to get to know anybody because you couldn't talk to anybody because it was lockdown. And so I just built this beautiful little life right. for myself. That was just the same day, every day in and out, in and out. And the the richness of which I lived life just exploded. And I was like, oh, I got to keep this up. And uh, then um, I, as I changed environments, I found that it was hard to maintain that. And so I realized that if you want to be somebody who changes environments, if you're going to be a musician and you're going to be in different places, or if you're going to be like me and you really just don't want to ever be in a place where it's over 85 degrees, but you also want to be next to mountains, you're going to have to move. Like you're going to have to go different places. And I realized yeah. I had to take my, I have to take it, take my rituals with me, bring them with me when I go to different locations. And that'll help me maintain the sense of what is me and help me be productive, um, in creating. And, um, and I also see a lot of value in it just looking at, um, so like our grandma recently went into, uh, uh, assisted living, you know, our dad and mom are getting older and you see that when people change environment, it doesn't really affect you when you're young. You're okay. Like you're four years old. We can take you from the Super Bowl to the bottom of the ocean, to the moon, to Dairy Queen. And you're just like, this is awesome. You got more candy, you know? Yeah. But yeah. when you get older, when you get older, it's those things that you do every day and the manner in which you do them and where they're located and all these things. That's what makes you you. And if you break that, then that makes it very confusing and frustrating. And if you're at a point in your life where you're not um, fully able to, you're not, you're not able to defend yourself against your own frustration and pause and be like, hey, if I'm frustrated, that's a sign that I have an opportunity to learn something new. 
because I, if I'm frustrated, that means I'm stuck. If I'm stuck, that means that I have a problem to solve. If I have a problem to solve, that means that I have an opportunity to learn something new. I can break something down and I can put it in an order and I can say, what's keeping me from having a good day? Like grandma complains about being at the assisted living facility. I, I, like, I kind of yeah. dream of people being able to take my app and say, Hey, here's Betty and she's moving from the farm to the assisted living facility. And, and Betty's real set in her ways. You know, she's, she's in her late eighties, you know, she's been like this for a while. She's, she is who she is. And, uh, and she has advanced um, dementia. Yeah. And, and we know it's going to be hard. And so in order to make this easy, here's yeah. this app called rituals, and we're going to share with you um, all the rituals that Betty goes through every day, you know, this is what time she gets up and this is where she puts her clothes. And this is, uh, what she likes to do in the afternoon. And we just give it to you. And, uh, by the way, there's a checklist so that when she does it and it gets done, then you can check that off and, you know, we can review that as well. And then that way you can go from giving generalized care to, um, people that need specific care. Um, and be able to give more curated care. You're able to you're able to give them more information, yeah. and the more information you can give them, the easier it makes their job. So, um, and I look I look forward to being able to use it just um, for people to put their life together. You know, it's, it's specifically designed to be targeted at people like me, people that were doing a lot of things kind of okay, but were not fulfilled by right. it. And kept wondering, like, look, I, I'm doing all these things that everybody else keeps telling you, like, and you're doing this in this interview. You're saying, like, look, you've done all these cool things. You've done all this. And you um, you met presidents and you've uh, flown in private jets. You've done all these cool things, right? Um, but to me, it doesn't seem cool because I had never, like, truly said, look, I just want to get insanely good at something. Like, what if I, what if I did just take, like, a very I long view? And I said, what if I... What if I chose something that I could never become perfect at? Um, because if I become perfect, I'm going to get bored. Um, what if I chose something that even when it sucked, it was still okay? Um, like, it, you know, like even even on the worst day, it was still, a, you know, like they said, oh, a bad day of golfing is better than a good day at work or whatever. Like stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, if you can have the perspective of like, I can... I'm going like you acknowledge that you're going to have bad days. How can I find like what's the thing that I can consistently do on bad days? Um, which, by the way, yeah. turns out it's not an activity. It's just I think I, I don't know. This is just my conjecture. I think it's just serving other people. It's like that's the thing that you can always because a lot of times you can't. You can always. You they talk about this like pet pet owners are like five times more likely to to. Uh, fulfill the prescriptions and follow the regimens given by their vets than they are by their own doctors. Like they will, they will do a better job taking care of a dog than they will have taken care of themselves. And so, yeah, like if you can right. put in your mindset, a servant first mentality where it's like, Hey, even at my worst, if I realize that I can serve somebody else, I can make it better. And so that was kind of the start for me where I, I was, I, I would come home from work and I would sit in a dark house and I would just be miserable, but I was making a hundred thousand dollars plus a year. And I had a band and I had a tour bus and I had a beautiful girlfriend and I had a nice little house and I had a pet and I had, I got all these wonderful things. And, and I was like, I would just come home and I would sit in a dark house and I would be like, this sucks. And one day I finally got up 
and I walked across the street. There was a single mom who lived there and she had uh, two kids. And one was a really rambunctious, just super powerhouse, just crazy strong young boy. And uh, the other was a, yeah. kind of a bookish girl that was a couple years older. But you could tell like her son was just a, just a dump truck of a human. Like he was strong. I mean, I, he was like six years old and he was strong, strong, strong. Yeah. And uh, so I went over there and I could see she was always like, she always had him out there in the yard. She was always like, just like smoking a cigarette or something, hanging out. Like sadly, you're just like, oh, kind of tough. And so I just went over there one day and I was like, hey, would it be all right if I took your kids on a bike ride? I have a bike and I like to ride my bike and I know that they have bikes and I I bet they like to ride theirs. And maybe you'd like to have like 30 minutes of time to yourself or something. And so I just took her kids out and, um, took them out a couple of times. And I just, I don't know, I just started to feel better about myself. And when I started to feel better about myself, I looked around and I was like, well, wait a second. I have this life and I have all this in front of me, but it's not making me happy. You know, what I do have is I have options. Like I have, I can do, I can, you know, I don't have to, like, if this is the thing that I'm doing, that is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, I think, and it's not making me happy, but I'm doing it, then maybe I should change my perception of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Cause this obviously isn't it. So, um, yeah, no, that gave yeah. me the courage to like start reading, start looking into, um, you know, alternative ways or not, not even alternative. Like it, this should be the mainstream. Like were everyone, I think to try and lead a life that only ended in joy that could be, multiplied throughout their immediate circle where it was like, Hey, how about you just do something that puts you in a good mood at the end of the day, like a genuine good mood, like not the kind of good mood where you smile as the door shuts and then you turn around and you're exhausted. And you're like, Oh, you just go get a drink of wine, you pour a glass of wine or something or you, whatever, not that kind, but the kind where people, people stay in your presence because they enjoy being in your presence. And you, you then learn that you have to meter allowing people into your life because they want to be with you so much, but you still have to get things done because you're trying to get something done that serves them to a greater multiple multitude than you already can. And so, yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. that's what it looks like is uh, you just go down that path and you, cool. I don't know where I went. I think I went off on a tangent somewhere, but. A few, <laughs> but, um, I mean, it sounds like to me, you, you we've kind of had backward trajectories, honestly, because I kind of, I kind of did like the, oh, I don't care. Like I have no money. I'll just, I'll just do whatever. And now I'm trying to like, oh, like, gosh, I got to put this, I got to invest some money and I have to do these things and I have to be an adult. And and you've you've done all that and it's like you're you have this foundation where you're like okay i've done all the things and like you said there's still no there, there's no joy in in those things so i think it's a, it's important to kind of reflect on because um you can be the happiest you've ever been and be sleeping on a couch in Nashville or whatever and you can be as miserable as anyone's ever been and be a millionaire so unless you 
find rituals or people to serve or pets to take care of or whatever, then you're not going to have, you're not going to feel purposeful. And that's, at least that's kind of the the gist of what I'm getting from super boiled down from, from what you've just said is that um, if you aren't serving yourself first. Yeah, the way to say it is uh, the person who has a why can withstand or can overcome any how, right? If you have a if you have a reason, okay, if you have a purpose, then you can go through a lot, and you you think about like everybody can think about an instance in their life where they they look back on it now, and it seems like what they did was extraordinary, and they overcame something that they previous thought was just utterly impossible. Like for me, I mean, like for me, it was like uh, impossible that I would play at the open mic night at Gumby's, you know, that was, that was way beyond anything I could ever imagine. And then, you know, and then it was, you know, I want to play for a hundred people. And then it was, I want to play on country stampede. And then it was, you know, like other stuff, like, you know, getting nominated, never won anything, by the way, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, but uh yeah like it, it, those those goals just increase and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and then and then you start hitting them and you realize well that's not making me happy and then you realize well i must have the wrong goals and so then it like for me it was like i realized that i didn't want to continue to play bigger and bigger shows i wanted to make better and better music and yeah. it turned out that those things were coming at a cross purposes with each other um and it it just, you know, that's what drove me back into, look, I want to do this next album. And instead of, instead of recording seven different songs at seven different times, and then just slapping them together as an EP and calling it something, I want to do something that's intentional, start to finish yeah. that tells a story, tells 10 different stories, but also tells one story. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we're at doing some music. Doing That's, some music, I'll be doing some coding, excited for doing that some to come coding. Out. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm I'm pumped for all of it. Like I'm pumped for, I'm pumped for. Um, I wrote down today some stuff that I was excited for. I can't remember what it was. It was, uh, oh yeah, the rituals, the rituals agency apartment. So I I live with a buddy of mine, Grant, who's seated right over there, like uh, working on some awesome stuff probably, and uh, so. Hmm? Uh, I put, think of, it says, think of three things that you're going to create. I was thinking of things that I'm excited. And one is the one act concert, which is the, just the album that I'm telling you about, which is start to finish one piece of music, 60 minutes, nonstop stories, song, purpose, intent. Uh, And then the app to get the app finished. And then to also um, do the, like, I, I found that I really like interior decoration. I don't know why, but it brings me joy. And it also seems to bring other people joy when they see what I've done. And uh, that makes me happy. And there seems to be a demand for that. And so I'm exploring that as part of the, <laughs> so like when, when you think about, when you think about rituals, the goal is to create designer lives and environments, like create yourself a designer life, create yourself an environment that is designed right. to give you success. And, and that means yeah. specific. I mean, that means really specific. Like what drawer are you going to put your spoons in? Like, cause by the way, there yeah. is a drawer, there's a drawer 
that makes the most sense for you to put your spoons in. There's a place that it makes the most sense for yeah. you to put your laundry. And it's not the place that makes the most sense for other people. It's the place that makes the most sense for the way you live your life. So, you know, yeah, the way that you structure things, the way you schedule things, I want to be able to help people take the first hurdle because environment's always your hurdle. The, that's the biggest hurdle for anybody is going to be, if I want to be successful, I need to put myself in a successful environment, right? You are not going to achieve your dreams um, by doing it. Like you can do it the hard way, but do it the easiest hard way possible. And the way that you do it the easiest hard way possible is you make it so that the place where you're doing the work that is driving you towards your goal is easy to work in. And a place that's easy to work in has yeah. no distractions. And a place that has no distractions means that everything has a place and it's in that place. And it's also typically out of sight so that you only access it when you need it, like your phone or like your, um, your clothes even, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy like the engine it because that yeah. satisfies like the engineering side of my mind. Cause what I'm doing is I'm creating systems of like, okay, I'm just going to watch how this person lives for a while. I'm just going to mm -hmm. watch what they do, see what their actions are, what order do they make them in? And I'm going to be like, okay, here. So if we do this, we can save eight minutes a day. Okay. And if we do this, we can save nine minutes a day. And if we do this, we can save an hour a day. And if we do this, we can save 30 minutes a day. And if we put all that together, you are going to end up with so much more time to do the thing that is pushing you closer and closer to what you really want to do, that you're going to find yourself almost overwhelmed by how fast you're getting there. And like you, you're feeling this right now because you, you know, you put out one podcast after four failed attempts or three or four failed attempts, you put out one podcast and it's getting a lot of attention, uh, relatively speaking. It's yeah. getting, sorry, it, it's, getting, it's getting way more attention than you would have imagined it had. And, and now it's like, oh, got to do another one and got to do another one. And so what it really ends up being is yeah. you got to, you don't have to do anything different. You just have to keep doing the same thing that you're doing, but get better at it. And by the way, you're crushing this interview. You're interviewing me way better than I interviewed you and doing an incredible <laughs> job at it. So, you know, and it's, it's that kind of learning. You're going to have exponential learning and you'll plateau and then you'll have exponential learning because you'll have these perspective changes where you'll get a new perspective and that new perspective will drive you to new learning until that perspective has maxed out what it can do for you. Yeah, And then you'll be flat and then you'll get a new perspective and you'll drive up to another yeah. level because you'll have a new approach and you'll be like, oh, I realized yeah. that when I do five minutes of pre-work on this little thing that I can guide the conversation in a direction that will really help the person tell their story as well as possible, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And really, yeah, you know, part of this is, is it. Part of, I think, the difference in me this time is is your previous um, suggestions about serving other people. I still, like, I'm 27. I, I still am a very self-conscious, like, person. I, I have self-esteem problems all the time. But I am always, always more eager, more confident to do things for other people, lift other people up. You know, how can I 
get someone else yeah. excited? How can I put someone else in the limelight? So, so not being in the hot seat, like not being the one being interviewed is so freeing to me because I'm like, well, we just get to talk about how cool this person is. And I get to introduce you, you guys to this person and, and what makes them special. And that's like, you know, to, the happiest thing that happened to me all weekend is I was in a store and I saw a little kid's outfit that was a teddy bear. And my best, one of my best friends just had a baby boy and his name is Theodore and Teddy. And I bought him this little teddy bear outfit and I brought it to her. And like, that's the best thing that happened to me this weekend, you know, so I, the perspective, the difference in, in tone and energy is just because. I get to be part of helping people see how cool this, this, this average person is and that yeah. all these little tiny average things throughout life have actually culminated to, to a really cool life and a very interesting, like it's so dynamic, um, the different things that you've done. And um, I know we're going to talk to some really, really dynamic people in the future, but um yeah, it's that's that's where it comes from. Is I I'd, I'd much rather be the be the person saying look at him than yeah. than say look at me. <laughs> well, but you do have to get like I mean, especially if you're going to be doing this, like you're going to get attention, and so you have to be comfortable with attention. And for me, just like uh, a tip, uh, because I I used to be the same. Like I I always. Every time I walked off stage, I was like, oh, I did terrible. I could have done this better. I could have done that better. Even when I was an athlete, I would walk off after beating someone. And and I would, in my mind, I would be like, oh, they weren't, you know, we weren't evenly matched. I was way stronger than him anyways. Like it wasn't even fair to him. And I would tear myself down. Yeah. And I, I did it when we won the student body president thing. Like immediately. I was like, oh, you know, I guess the other guy was just way too unlikable. You know, that was the thing I was like, no, mm. we didn't win. They lost, you know, and I would always do that. Yeah. And with music, people would come up and they would tell me about what a great night they had and how much fun it was to watch me on stage and how great it was to hear me tell my stories, blah, blah, blah. And I would come back and I would say, oh, you know, but I messed this up and it's not that good. And it's blah, blah, blah. And it was pointed out to me by Matt Woodyard, um, Matthew, Matthew Woodyard dot com, by the way. If you guys want to look him up, he was a life coach and he was my life coach for a while until we became business partners. And he was pointed out to me by Matt that when I do that, um, that what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, you person who just told me that you loved this and you had a great time. I'm telling you, you don't have good taste because I'm going to list off the reasons why it was mm -hmm. not good. And now you're going to become aware of your inferior taste in this realm. I'm going to make you feel bad. You already made me feel bad just by trying to make me feel good. So now we can part ways and learning to yeah, be okay with that. It's almost, you know, yeah, you have to learn to be okay with that. And you have to learn when somebody says that you're great, you have to at least acknowledge I'm good enough in order to at least make your day you. better. And that's awesome. And I like that. And, and it makes me feel good now yeah. when people come up and say stuff to me and, and, uh, I've got a regular got gig that. up here already, which is amazing. I've got a regular gig in Wenatchee at the, uh, um, they, they gave me my own show, but I also, I just like, I go down and play at the open mic night cause it's fun. It's me and the, you know, the, the, the Gothic kids that are writing weird poetry and, you know, somebody playing, 
this thing that they they just learned how to play guitar two weeks ago and somebody playing like a concert piano piece like it's everything and it's weird and some of it's really good and some of it's not but all yeah. the people are there and they're all putting it on the line everybody is walking through there and they're going i'm at this talent level and if i don't perform to the talent level that i'm at i'm not going to feel satisfied with myself and they're pushing themselves and it's cool to see that and be a part of it yeah i like that i I like that. And it is like it, you don't want to disrespect people's feelings. And I got a little bit of that, like from a high school coach once I, something had happened and I, I think I did a good thing and I was told I did a good thing. And I was like in a bad mood for some reason. And I shook it off and I said something under my breath. And I mean, I got a hand on my shoulder and I, my coach was saying, you look at me when I say, you did a good job or when I compliment you did this, you look at me and you say, thank you because like, mm -hmm. because you're being disrespectful to me as your coach. And that's like someone that comes to watch you perform and they have a good time and they're happy. Yeah. If you discount your performance, you're, you're disrespecting their, their opinion or their feeling or their when sense, you know, their sense of worth that yourself. evening. You're, you're disrespecting yourself yeah. is what you're doing. And, and in doing that, you are you're hurting is what you're doing you're disrespecting yourself and you're hurting the person who is trying to care for you yeah yeah right Poo. so do you have a good guitar nearby yeah yeah you want me to play uh why don't you riff it's called promises off it's a tuner and it keeps beeping all right i'm just going to take my headphones off and play it okay the song is called promises promise and save the bullet and now i wonder if you still struggle we finally got through it you kept my number why not use it why save something just to abuse it I see the light in your darkness. Do believe that it's heartless. But there's mercy in it too. You call it a bad omen then. If there's a shadow in your light, should be shining through. Oh, but I see you. This whole time I've been faking The words coming out my mouth 
the hurt, the smile, the doubt Since you walked away I spent every third second dreaming about you I see the fight in your shadow Do believe in your battles But you're worthy of it too You call it a bad moment then Hot lead pouring in The devil gunning for his due Oh, you better bring a lunch of bitches bulletproof Oh, but I see you I see you Kill my promise Save the bullet kill of you now and I see you oh I see you through it oh I see you through That's it. That's the song. Oh, all right. Hold on. Lucas Maddie promises. Did and it if work? You hear someone. It worked. But if you hear someone doing dishes in the background, it's because if I turn the like... noise canceling off, it'll probably take the guitar out. So yeah, you're gonna okay. have Just let them hear the dishes. dishes. That's what life is. Mingling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I think it adds to the um, ambiance. It made me no, feel it's better. Great. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's been a great. That's just oh what God, it is. Like three and a half hours. Cooked, like, yeah. Yeah. I think it was awesome. I had fun. Hey, it Did is. Well, I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it. Yeah. I had yeah, fun. Good. My back hurts a little bit because I'm my dumb ass sat oh. on a stool this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a good decision. Probably Do won't some happen stretching. again. We've little, learned. A little yin yoga for you. That's what you got to get. Yin yoga. <laughs> Gonna yeah. do some stretching. Gonna listen to uh, a podcast and take a bubble bath and uh, get ready for nice. Monday. So this is awesome. This, this is, is a awesome. Sunday evening. Yeah, I'm happy that this is working well. Sweet. I think this is cool, and I think it's going to be really good. So my battery's about to die too. So yeah. is there anything, uh, uh, anything else you have for no, the end? No, I think. No, you know, I closed the first one, so uh, let's have a closing from from Lucas here. Oh man, I didn't wrap, wrap think it up. about that. Um, okay, so here <laughs> is what I can say that I know to be true, and I know it because other people smarter than me know this. Your life is determined by the decisions that you make. Your decisions are determined by whether or not you think you have a choice. You always have a choice. And if you have a choice, then you should take the choice that makes you happy. 
if you're doing something and it's not making you happy, it's because you forgot that you had a choice. You can change what you're doing if it doesn't make you happy. So do something that makes you happy, that makes other people happy, that brings money into your pocket, that allows you to take money out of your pocket and give it to people that need it. And do something that you can do on the worst day and on the best day. And set up everything in your life so that your average Tuesday is just as enjoyable as the best day of your life. That's not me. That's Tim Ferriss. The, the, and none of this is me. But there's something in you it's that's more true. than what than more that's more than what you've got. I know that there is, and you know that there is. And so, um, yeah, don't be afraid to explore uh, yourself to find the thing that makes you uniquely new because other people are very interested in knowing who you are. And, uh, and as, as you get to the point where you yeah. know yourself, you're going to find that you become an interesting person to a lot of people. So that's, uh, I guess that's how it goes. And also yeah. make sure that you have music and everything. It just makes it better and, uh, get out and move, move your body. If your body hurts, it, it's because you don't move it enough. So, uh, do that. Yeah. Don't eat sugar. Um, I don't know. Vote your conscious. Uh, <laughs> at, at this point, you know, check your oil, uh, uh, you know, make check sure you oil. stretch before you run. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, dev, you know, well, don't, don't step on a crack. You'll break your mama's back. Uh, at this point, uh, we're just riffing. So, all right. Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Thank you, Lucas. You are an incredibly average person. And, uh, next time we'll, we'll talk to hopefully an even more incredible incredibly average person who knows who knows what's next but i'm excited for it nice all right sweetness <laughs> farewell from wenatchee washington Peace out.